Welcome to Oil & Whiskey, an Ironclad Original. I am Josh Henning. I'm Phil Gerber. I'm Jeremy Gerber. Welcome to Oil & Whiskey, an Ironclad Original, presented by Blade HQ. Coming up, we've got a brand new In the Glove Box, a Roadster Shop Hall of Fame, where we break down Al Nagel's 32 Ford Deuce Flyer. Today's guest is a racer, engineer, and entrepreneur, uh, Kyle Tucker. But first, it's time for On the Gas. In this segment, we want to take some time to shout out an individual, vendor, shop, or company that's got their foot. That's got their foot. On the gas. Right? You just had a seizure. Yeah. I, I set you up and it was ready. Okay. On the gas. In a shop that's got their foot. On the gas. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> horrible. Horrible. On the gas. <laughs> Still not ready. Okay, go ahead. All right. Uh, taking their projects and industry to the next level. All right. Who do we have this week for On the Gas? We got one that's probably, this is long overdue because this dude does some awesome stuff. Jeremy Senior from Lucky Strike Design. Buddy of mine, dude does some awesome shit. Uh, Badass painter. Um, I don't know shit about the uh, new performance bagger trend. They're really badass. But all the stuff he's doing is like the coolest of the cool. Um, He's blending a lot of styles into... He's just got it yeah. going on across the board, man. I mean, the graphics, mixing the carbon stuff with all like the neon colors. And if you pull up his lucky strike underscore designs, check out his Instagram. I mean, everything from just like his bagger motor that he's just Cerakoted everything and it just looks sick to doing bitching helmets. He's awesome at graphics, does like sweet little cartoon you characters. Pull it, pull, pull it up. up. Hold up. Oh, you got it up. Motherfucker. Phil, where were you? Oh, You're supposed to go. All all right. Okay, back it up. So I've been waiting this whole time. I, I was sleeping. Even it doesn't make sense. To all right, hold on. Let's bring it because nobody knows it's there first and then there. Well, we're looking. You're the one there. that came up with the with the deal. I was ready. Right, so I the just buff, wanted to see the, if I could yeah, make it So the buffer 180 is obviously just strictly for Michael Buffer. Then all right, I've so, pulled it up. Okay, now let's let everybody else see it. Yeah. Bam. There we go. There yeah. it is. Just an like exciting page to spend some time on because everything he does so badass. It just looks good like to view with your eyes. Yeah. Everything. I mean his you look at any of his silver leaf, gold leaf stuff, so bitch and I just want him to do graphics on like everything. everything I own. He's one of those guys that's Got his like uh, finger in the pulse for all different styles. So there's a lot of like traditional stuff, a lot of modern stuff. Throw some '80s in there, and it's just, and it's got a badass style and can make anything cool. I mean, look at that helmet. Go back up to the the sports ball helmet. Look at that guy. I mean, that fucker is awesome. Bam. Yeah, that's some colors. He also did the. Uh, he's done some some really cool stuff for us yeah. as well. He done some cool stuff for us. He did uh, on the George's 56 gasser. He did that devil's right hand little radiator cover. Engine turn. Devil's right hand. Thank you, Josh. Yeah, great song, you know. Great song. And I'll be some song. copyright infringements on that one. And, uh, was, engine turn gold wailing. leaf. <laughs> cool little character, dude. Little devil guy. Did some stuff for your boy too, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He did a bitchin' 80s deck. That's also super cool. I 
again, it sits on the wall. It's something I look at every single night, every single day. It glows in the dark, too. He's got some little, like, LED. Really? They're like, kind of like black lights, so just cool shit. I'm gonna I love get, that, like, Nardo gray bagger that he did. That thing is sick. I'm going to get a, uh, I've got a hankering for another, for another Harley. I think I'm going to get a, another, another soft tail during the, yeah. uh, maybe during the winter and have uh, Mr. Jeremy do some, do some paint work for it. If I can afford it. But check him out. I think the time is going to be more the issue of, he's got to have a bunch of stuff lined up that you're not going to get in there. I'm fine waiting. The, the time is the time something I have, especially after the three people that listen to this are now on it. Yeah. Check him out. Lucky strike underscore designs. Yeah. Jeremy. Senor. Senor. Sweet. Kyle Tucker is a race car driver turned engineer who founded Detroit speed and engineering and started gear effects after purchasing CNR racing's driveline division. And he is the only two time winner of SEMA's battle of the builders competition. Kyle Tucker, welcome to Oil & Whiskey. Well, like we start with everybody, tell us kind of where it all started. Most people know, I mean, good grief, you I mean the godfather of pro touring and all the, I mean, the books that have been written. And I mean, I think everybody knows the story, but for those that don't, um, tell us where you got started motorsports wise. Yeah, well, thank you. And, you know, to clarify, I think pro touring, gosh, there's a lot of different people that probably uh, have even prior status to me, but I came along at a good time anyway. But um, yeah, as far as motorsports, I got started, you know, I grew up in a really small town in the Midwest, southeastern Missouri. Um, wasn't a lot going on there, but my uh, my dad got me a, a go-kart. Didn't have an engine, but it was like a racing Margate chassis. It was old school and um, saved up and, and uh, bought a Briggs and Stratton out of the Montgomery Ward catalog. And that uh, was a big deal. So my big sister, I talked her into pushing me right till we had the engine so that's actually where, where my motorsports career started and then i think she got finished with that and we saved up some money and bought a briggs and stratton for it and uh anyway started racing it um you know locally around the st louis area and illinois and it kind of got bigger and bigger i was probably 11 or 12 years old and you know the first first step in go-karts is you start in the stock briggs class almost right and the next year it's like the stock appearing engine the next year it's modified and the next year it's like open, right? So I ran three or four years, um, you know, kind of stepping up through that. And it was all dirt ovals because yeah. that's what the Midwest has, right? And I love the dirt. Mm. Um, got started that way. And it, it's funny, I, I got to the, where I was 15, 14 and 15, and I was building my own engines, setting everything up and doing it, um, you know, to save money. And I had to pay for the parts. Dad got me the cart. Um but I had to have a part-time job to buy the engines. And pretty soon when we were in that open class, it's alcohol and nitro and fuel pumps. And, you know, it, it cost a lot of money for a kid with a part-time job, 14 years old. So um, we did pretty well, won a lot of races and raced all over the Midwest through doing that. And in my hometown, um, a guy by the name of Ray Marler um, actually gave me my first break. He had a Silver Crown Champ car, USAC Silver Crown Champ car in the area. And I used to, if I had my homework done, mom would drop me off at race shop and I could sweep the floor and clean parts, you know, if I wasn't go-kart racing. So I did that for a couple of years and went with them on the road and Kenny Schrader was driving for them because Kenny's from that area. And um, anyway, I got to hang out with them. And when Kenny came down here to run NASCAR, um, you know, the champ car was sitting there and Rayburn was starting to get bored. And of course, I couldn't go from a go-kart to champ car yet. 
So he bought a, a Sportsman late model, and I started racing at the local dirt track. And um, the deal was he he didn't want to like maintain it and set it up, but he would teach me how to race. So he'd show up on Saturday night if I maintained it and got it there, and uh, we'd go racing. And he taught me how to race, and I tore that poor car up the first year. <laughs> I mean, beat every corner on it, but we won some races that first year. And um, you know, the old guys had been running that class for years and years and years that's you know how it is i mean they like they put new tires on the late model before they put bread on the table right yep. so I, I was in small town bullring america in that dirt track in farmington and um um like you said started winning some races and ruffling some feathers and the guys i think got together at the parts store one midnight one week and uh so they were going to crash me the next saturday night and they did i was turned sideways at the flag stand and totaled the car and uh they ganged up on me and anyway from there um, put the car back together in the second year. I rebodied it, uh, while I was in high school and, and, uh, part-time job and everything. And, uh, and won like almost every race that year. So we were really learning a lot and doing a lot of things on the dirt there in the local track area. And then from there, I stepped up and started doing some dirt midgets, um, all over the Midwest and, um, drove for a guy out of St. Louis. And I really thought at that point, I got through high school and I was going to junior college because my mom and dad, my parents wanted me to go to college and all I wanted to do was race. So, um, you know, I was kind of at a fork in the road where Schrader was helping me some and um, Rayburn was helping me. And of course, my parents were supportive of what I wanted to do, but all I wanted to do was race. So I did that for a while and just started. I had more uh, more right foot than experience and a dirt midget will definitely rub your nose in the dirt when you, uh, <laughs> when you, you, when you don't way. have a lot of experience. So, um, I had no fear and, uh, tore up a lot of cars. We, we started winning some races, but at that point, I remember Rayburn went with me on a big race one night up in Illinois and, um, the world of outlaws were there and we were there as like a sideshow for the, with the midgets. And, um, I turned the car over so many times. Um, it ended up in roll crash and burn magazine that year, which is kind of a big deal, right? <laughs> If you're not winning, you got to crash, right? So we were crashing that night. And I remember it really rung my bell. And I was carrying my steering wheel and my helmet in the other hand back to the pits. And Rayburn was kind of steadying me walking back. And he's like, you know, you may need a backup thing to this racing gig. <laughs> so That's he was a nice way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. So everybody was kind of getting tired of spending money on me, maybe. So the page um, out of I, I, Jason Childress's book. The old, uh, yeah, if you're not going to win, be spectacular. <laughs> Boy, was he spectacular pretty regularly. <laughs> he, he was. Uh, he's more of an entertainer than I probably would be. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so there I kind of went to engineering school. And I thought, you know, I can start learning more about the cars and how to set them up. And, of course, as I got through engineering school, I had to spend a lot more time working on that than I could racing until I got out of school. But that's kind of how it started in small-town America. Well, before we go too much further, Doug, I look back on it fondly. Um, it's been a lot of time at, at the short tracks across the Southeast and, uh, you know, specifically dirt tracks in Midwest and Southeast. There's, you'd be amazed at the 15, 20, $30,000 engines, you know, in these cars being pulled by a $5,000 truck. And right. it's like he said, I mean, that, that is, but the other thing you're going to learn is you, you're either going to keep your mouth shut or you're going to learn how to fight quick. And, and, yeah. and some of the, best fights i've ever seen has been in some pits. of those short tracks oh man I, I i'm scarred by some of those you know and you you learn how to work with people you learn how to deal with people and you learn how to fight you're right you, and, you uh, don't know when it, or it's coming from either too i mean you might put somebody in the wall and you're getting out in the pits and it could be that 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 dude's mom or grandma or <laughs> girlfriend, girlfriend. It, was, it was the girlfriend that got me yeah. <laughs> and you're gonna be, you're gonna get clocked with something 
<laughs> yeah, I remember like one of the first nights I raced, I looked in some of the other cars and I see guys with this like inch and a quarter deep well, half inch drive socket inside the car in the roll cage, like attached to the roll cage. I'm like, I wonder what that's there for. And about three nights in, I learned what that was for. Luckily, it wasn't for me, but they'd roll that up in their fist when they came out mm. of the car. And, uh, <laughs> Damn. Was that like an impact you don't get, socket or just a regular <laughs> socket? That fuck, it didn't matter. It was a deep well socket. It hurt if you had that in your fist, you know. So, Damn. yeah, you, you learn how to get along with people. You learn how to fight. Well, I never knew that about you. I didn't know you had that yeah. racing background. I was going to say, I was trying to get my son into go-karts. I've been looking around here, but I don't know if that's the best uh, move after this conversation. <laughs> I think it's no, a little I think different it, in the Midwest here. It's, he was running in Illinois. Uh, I think it's different now, probably, right? I don't um, know, man. But, you, you, you mix some tire prep and some clay ovals and some alcohol. I don't care where you're yeah. at in the country. It's, gonna, it's, it's bound to get chippy. Yeah, and they're paying big bucks for those races, too, so that puts it even on, more on top. You running Burris tires back then? The- I sure was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. You'd never cease to amaze me with all your knowledge, my, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> my father-in-law raced a bunch really? of go-karts way back, and he said the Margate chassis, and they ran uh, uh, twin-engine uh, lay-down carts at Talladega and stuff back in the day, um, all that old-school old stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Me and Phil did yeah, that's for, cool. for a while. But it was you know, all road course road stuff course on, stuff, on yeah. the yeah, pavement. Yeah. Cool stuff. He was racing when Michael Waltrip was coming up as a young boy, racing and stuff like that way back in the day, and they were running all the... They used to do those uh, Grand Prix like downtown. Birmingham would do one yeah. stuff, and they'd mark, okay. yeah, line everything up. DIR back in the day. It's memories coming back to stuff. Uh, so you decide, you know what? I got to make a living in this. Most uh, racers across the South and the Midwest at the dirt track, they there is nothing else besides the racing. You realize that at some point you've got to make a living. So it's and you're engineering not, you're not school. Doing it. So it's engineering school. It was, you know, I was, uh, I grew up on a farm, so, um, you know, you learn how to break things and you learn how to fix things. So I was always had interest in anything mechanical. My dad was a hot rodder, still a hot rodder. He's still, he, he's ate up with cars as much of any of us, like an 18 year old kid. And, uh, so he was really a big influence for me. And, and again, you learn how to fix things on the farm and with racing. And I, I really did want to learn how to like make the cars go better so I could be a better driver. So engineering school um, was kind of that that end for me. And from there, I got a co-op position with GM and went to the proving ground at General Motors to work and um, then ended up working there after I graduated. So that was kind of my trip to Detroit uh, paid off and back and forth between school and co-op jobs. So working at the proving grounds in Detroit, what's that job like? What What is the what's the workload there? What's the day to day? Yeah, you know, you guys would love it. It was like the dream job for a gearhead. You know, um, I, I hired in on the C. I'm going to date myself because the C5 was pre pre like prototype at that stage. And um, as a single young engineer, um, I was able to hire into a test uh, lab area and I was assigned one of the pre prototype cars. I think we had six pre prototype, pre pre prototype C5 Corvettes. And I was assigned one for chassis and suspension testing. So, you know, had all kinds of data acquisition on it. And then I traveled with the car. If it was snowing in the Michigan, in Michigan in the winter, we moved the car to Phoenix and tested out there, but you know, road course laps, um, potholes, all kinds of ride and handling loops, things like that. Um, but we had to answer your question, we had all the test tracks you can dream of. Um, I had a hoist, I had spare parts, machine shop, fab shop and help there if you wanted it. So it was just a dream job for me at the time with somebody that liked to race and drive and, like to work on cars it was 
kid in a candy store to go into Chevrolet, the Chevrolet building at the proving ground and have a Corvette there to work on. And I did that for almost three to four years before it came out. Are you giving them feedback and your input and making changes or is it just trying to break stuff? And Yeah, you know, the car early on, when you start with a car like that, everything is so far off. Shock valving, the springs, the bars, the brackets, everything. We were breaking all kinds of things um, until the car gets a little more refined and closer to production. But yeah, you just try and break it. Um, there was one of the tests, they, they probably still have it, but you literally on Black Lake, they call it Black Lake, it's just a big vehicle dynamics pad, but um, you literally autocross the car for 24 hours. And the only reason you go off, leave the course, is to fuel it and put brake pads or tires on it, and then you're right back on the course. And that was just one of the many tests you had with it. Did uh, GM issue the white New Balances, or did you have to buy your own? <laughs> Gold chains and white New Balances and a lab coat, man. That's the way you ride. Sorry, I couldn't resist. I was yeah, trying so, to yeah. work in as well. Nice, but I nicely to done, Josh. Nicely done. I was just after the pocket protector phase, yeah. so I wasn't yeah. like. So when they, yeah, I mean, when your GM is bringing something like that to market, how how long does that? take how do they implement those changes i mean that seems like that could be a like potential never-ending process so from the time you're out there testing tuning driving the wheels off of the car to where they implement the changes and it goes into production how does that all work yeah yeah no good question they always wanted it faster right faster to market and um i I can tell you to this day i don't know that there's a, a better brand within the general motors i mean all of all of new vehicles but the way GM tests and develops their products has got to be second to none. I mean, it was in that time frame, it was more seat of the pants. You know, we had data and we were taking a lot of data and analyzing it and making improvements. But today it's so much more analytical, right? I mean, you're driving the car, testing the car on the computer. But back then it was still a lot of old school and the analytical was coming in. And um, it, the process was, I mean, you just kept refining it, whatever we broke. We, we made better. You got with the release engineer that basically designed whatever part we broke. They made it better, put it on the car, and tested it again until it was finally ready to go to production. But we went through several cars, you know, to get to production. That's interesting. I would have thought, you know, the opposite where it's kind of like, all right, you, I know you want to make it perfect, but we've got to stop somewhere. This yeah, is this, thing's, see, this, this thing's good. We got recalls and shit. We'll deal with it then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah and that, that's where like the chief engineer has to balance all that, right? Because engineers wants to, they want to engineer until it's perfect and there's no time for that. So you have to call it good enough at some point. Cool. Interesting. So yeah. what's the next move? You're out there at GM. What's going, yeah, what's going um, through your head? Was the next move moving off? On your own doing hot rod stuff, or where'd, where'd you go through there? Why'd no, you leave GM? It wasn't at all. Um, you know, I had a house very close to the proving grounds. It was an easy drive, and um, I was happy doing what we were doing. After the Corvette program, I got into some other programs, um, truck and vans and a little bit of everything. But uh, as I was mentioning, as things started to phase into, um, I mean, Toyota was coming out to market so much faster, GM had to go more analytical. And I was going to be behind a computer more and more with what I had done before, but having to sit basically at a workstation in a dark room all day long. And that just wasn't me. So at home, I mean, I was building, um, you know, the what was to become the Twister Camaro and uh, just a car I picked up in college and didn't have any money to work on it. And it kind of set to the side, but I brought it to Detroit and um, started working on it. And it, it got to be the point where I wanted to build it like, Trans Am road race era, but 
high detail because my dad had hot rods and street rods and and I was a racer so it was kind of like where pro touring blended together for me and it made sense so built that car on the side and um, took all the vacation I could take and um, we took it on power tour that year and it was San Bernardino to Panama City that year it was old school power tour in 2000 and um, anyway the car it, it, it wasn't like over the top I mean that thing today is like a snapper lawnmower you know i mean yeah. i remember so the cars. far different it yellow, than what, yellow and black yeah, yeah it was it, it's so far different than the scale of things being built today but at the time it was just the right timing and the right kind of look and people were interested and got home from power tour and people started calling me hey can you work on a car i've got a car like that i want it to look like that and i designed a lot of parts um our, kind of our first bolt-on parts came out on that car and um it just kind of evolved and pretty soon my two car garage at home was starting to get more and more busy. I'd stay up all night and go to GM through the day. And, um, I saw, you know, kind of a light that maybe I could make something of it. I had that much, you know, people calling. So took a leave of absence, went to my director. He was a car guy and told him what I wanted to do. And he gave me a leave of absence that I'd come back, get my job back if I didn't make anything of it. So it was kind of a parachute there. And I took the leave and just never went back. Taking taking the, the leap of faith. I mean, that's a, yeah. Comes up a lot on what we're um, on our podcast, talking to different guys starting and, you know, just say, screw it. One day you, you just can't, you can't ignore that voice in the back of the head anymore. You know, of saying, right. I gotta do it. I gotta do it. So, I mean, at that point you, you're just, you've still got, you, have you got a shop? I mean, you've got, you know, have you rented a space or what's going on there? Yeah. So the two car garage, was packed right i had a borrowed tig welder in it an old lincoln synchrowave and um i had a bridge port that i still have and um you know hand tools in that car it was turned sideways in the garage to be able to work on it get it all in the garage and so sold the twister to kind of pay off the credit card bills right what you do when you build the first car and built a bigger shop in the backyard and it was big enough to put two or three cars in and i hired within the first year and a half hired my first part-time employee to come over and just help me do fab work. But I was still bending all the control arms and welding all the control arms together and working on cars at night to try and get cash floated to, to do more of the parts business. So that was the start. That was the first piece for the Camaros where you did like tubular control arms bolted into the stock subframe. Yeah, it, it was, it was, <laughs> it was all that stuff. I look back on it now and you know, you just, you laugh where we started, but it was, you know, like Delrin lower control arm bushings and, upper control arms, tubular upper control arms with a little bit of geometry improvements. and Goldstrom, um, probably. You know, right? it, it was, yeah. yeah. Of course. <laughs> that was the deal to do. Subframe connectors and just anything I could make on cars, you know, I'd start to build a few, put it on the website. And, um, you know, but in the meantime, I was working on people's cars to get cash flow to either buy more equipment or um, build more parts. What was the mindset on going after the parts side first opposed to doing the hot rod shop side. I feel like everybody in our industry goes the other approach. They want to build the cool cars. It's like the exciting, glamorous portion. Um, yeah. You kind of, I think, went a complete opposite direction than most people. You went went after the parts and used the cars to fund it? Yeah, I think probably, I mean, I wanted to build cars. I'm, I'm a gearhead like anybody else and love building cars. And, you know, you can do that. Just work your guts out and hopefully you can get paid for some of it. And And that worked early on, but I always wanted to, have a product line for the cars. And then once that, that application was done, I, I started thinking about Chevelles and, you know, different cars. So I, early on, I saw that I wanted to have that product line. You know, I, I just 
thought it would be something small scale and grow little by little. And um, it, it was just right timing, right customers, type of customers wanting those type of parts. And it, it grew faster than I expected. What brought you to North Carolina from Detroit? Yeah, so the Twister Camaro was sold to a, a gentleman down here, uh, Eddie Vinoy, that has a big car collection up in um, like West Jefferson area, the mountains in North Carolina. So we brought the car down to him after SEMA. It was in, uh, took it to SEMA that year uh, to be in the bear booth and then brought it down to him. He had purchased it and uh, loved the area, right? He's a great guy and um, built him a Chevy 2 the year after. Um, and it went to SEMA. So brought that car down after SEMA. I got to know him a little more. And um, he kept telling me, you know, you need to move to North Carolina. Because I kept telling him it's just, it's hard in Detroit. You guys know what the weather's like. And I couldn't afford to grow the business up there because the time, you know, all the suppliers to the automakers were still gobbling up all the, ma- tough, you know, the, tough, the industrial buildings. Tough to find talent, I'd imagine, too, in Detroit it, it if is, they're going to the OEMs. That and building space. So... You know, that backyard shop we had outgrown, and I had leased a small building from Scooter Brothers, Comp Cams, because fast fuel injection was in that area, and Mike Moran and some of those guys. So I had a very small suite that we moved into for about a year and a half. Um, gosh, it was probably 3,000 square feet, and thought it was like the biggest shop in the world. We'd made it big time. We had an open house and party and everything, and uh, we outgrew it in about a year. And, and in that meantime, I was coming back and forth to North Carolina. So um, Eddie introduced me to a friend actually in Columbus, uh, Sheraton parking lot one night. Uh, we were at Columbus and he's like, Kyle is my friend. Um, he's got a race shop in Mooresville. He wants to get out of racing, sell the building. Kyle, you need to buy his building. I'm like, I can't afford to move to North Carolina and buy a race shop, you know? So anyway, we, we came down and looked at it and um, it was like a perfect setup. It was a fab shop. It had the body shop side and everything we needed. Came with some land in an industrial park. So Talked to a banker and told him I'd always pay him back and got a big mortgage and moved down here and uh, always paying it back too. So it, it worked out. <laughs> so what year? What year was this? When did this go? That down? was like '04. Moved down here. I think I bought the building in '03. Leased it to the race team while well, we had four employees at the time, so they could get ready to move. And um, three out of the four came down with us and uh, moved down here in '04. Nice. And scared to death. I thought I'm never going to be able to pay for this building on my own. And, uh, and, you know, took every job I could take to try and make it work. So at this point, this is now Detroit speed, right? This is, you've, right. you've started the business, you are rocking and rolling, ready to go. Were you building, you building cars right there from the start at the new building or at the, when you moved? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, we had to move, gosh, I think I tried to finish all I could. I think we had three or four cars in play in, um, Detroit area and moved down here with two you know, that we had to finish. And um, then we had more showing up so I could try and hire more people and get more cash flow going to pay for the building. How much of the manufacturing was put in place, you know, prior to when you moved? Or was that all started when you moved to North Carolina? Yeah, no, it was still, we did a lot um, in that Michigan shop with mostly the Camaro product line. Um, it was still growing, but there wasn't much else besides the Camaro product line until we moved to North Carolina had more space and um, within a couple of years put in the first CNC machine and brought machine work in-house and, um, you know, bought more welders and hired more welders and kind of ramped up the fab side even more on the product side. Pretty cool. So how, at that point, now you're manufacturing parts, you're building cars. What makes you decide to, rather than sticking in some pieces of tubing into a tubing bender and bending up a subframe, 
you don't do that, you hydroform a subframe, which is completely unheard of. I mean, totally like over the space top. age for our industry. Yeah, that's basically like it's it's NASA yeah. stuff at that time. It was big, you know, and I, I think I was the only one dumb enough to put the risk out there and try it too. <laughs> but from my GM days, I mean, I knew I, I wanted like I, I knew the parts I wanted to design and build, but you just you know you don't have the cash or the time. Everybody knows how that is in this industry. So it was a big risk, and um, I had hired a couple of new engineers to help me, and um, one of the engineers is still still with Detroit Speed, super sharp guy, and um, we talked about doing our own frame, because at the time, I don't know if you remember, like Wayne Dew had a subframe, and there was a few early two-by-four frame rails out there, subframes, and I was like, man, I just, I built a couple of cars with those and didn't care for them, and definitely didn't like them once we drove the car or put them on the track, so we just kept brainstorming about how, how could we do this better? And hydroforming was coming out, you know, on like the early 2000 trucks. And we, um, I had a connection still in Detroit because of the vendors that I got to meet up there and basically went to a prototype shop to do this tooling. And it was a really big risk. I mean, it was like, if we didn't sell a few of these, we're going to be out of business. And, um, but at the same time, if we could make it work and sell enough, I knew it would pay off in the long run because the tooling was set and you just keep chunking them out. And that was really the big risk was to design. We had it designed and we built the fab version of it first and just wore it out for a year, trying to break it and make it better. And then once we were satisfied with it, invested in the tooling to make the tooling. And um, gosh, I think the tooling for the left rail and the right rail, um, it's enormous. It's like 55,000 pounds worth of material to make the tool, the upper and lower dies for left and right frame rails. So it's like tractor trailer loads, two tractor trailer loads of material to make the die, you know? So it was a, it was a big deal for us. That's huge. I wasn't thinking, I wasn't thinking anywhere near that. Gotta have the foresight for that. Yeah, they're like so you that's said, when that's, you a, gotta, that's a put the balls out there and be like, yeah. you know what? Because if you, you know, <laughs> throw them over the shoulder, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, yeah, it was, you could sell it two or 2,000. Yeah. yeah, that's a, yeah, yeah that'd be a tough one. That's another pretty common theme in our, in our industry, though. You design something you believe in, you take the risk, and then when your back's to the wall, you got to make it happen. And it's kind of a now or never type situation. Right. Yeah, you weren't yeah, looking it, at the price point of what that was going to be once it was all finished. You knew what you wanted to build and wanted to build the best you possibly could. And whatever it ended up costing is what it ended up costing. You weren't going to be like, well, yeah, exactly. I need to hit this price point. So how can I build it to meet that? No, you're exactly right. It, it was like most chassis rolling subframes at the time were like $2,000. And ours comes out at like 5700 right? And it was a tough sell, but you get a few of them in people's hands and they liked it and appreciated it. And, you know, word of mouth, it, it grew. And we, like you guys, I mean, just wore ourselves out on the road. You know, every weekend we'd be somewhere um, trying to show what it did or talk to people about it all over the country and just wore ourselves out trying to do it. This is weird seeing like the front side of your head because I'm used to seeing like the back of your helmet and your taillights. So this is a little different conversation here. <laughs> I chased you a few times. I, I remember, Phil. You, you've got it together. <laughs> there's one or two wins, I think. Yeah, uh, no, there, I think there's more than that. You, you still into print media stuff? Because I, I got a magazine that I was just looking at the other yeah, day. This, this came up in conversation because this is Phil's one and only win against the legendary <laughs> Kyle Tucker. So. Was that out at, um, was that El Toro days? That was out at the popular, remember that popular hot rodding shootout? It was a muscle car shootout. Yeah. 
Yeah, out in Irvine. Yeah, right? and it was yeah. like they, yeah, yeah. They were having a hard time. I don't know, like filling it up. And I think probably because we were an advertiser, they threw us a bone and said, "Well, you, you got a truck. You know, you could come on and it, it'd be." No, we were supposed to have Bruce's Camaro, but then it was too nice to beat on. So we well, it's a good thing we didn't. Yeah, we gotten our ass kicked in that. <laughs> yeah. No, I remember that. You guys ran really well. <laughs> and the green Chevelle, the orange Chevelle, I remember all those days. Yeah, that was, I mean, back then, you know, we were working together and that was, uh, you know, I always yeah. say in, for us in, in this industry, there's, I think there's been really two people that have changed, uh, you know, the direction of where we've gone with the Roadster Shop. I mean, one of them, it's always been Troy Trepanier, who we just had on here the other day from a, you know, vehicle build standpoint. I mean, just an absolute God, you know, right. to, to do what Troy's is unbelievable. But from a you know a product standpoint and just overall role model of image running a business and what you've produced, I mean, you and Detroit Speed have always been inspirational, you know, to us back in the early days, and we worked together, and uh, yeah, it was very, I guess, eye opening for coming from being guys that fabricated hot rod chassis in moving into the pro touring scene and jumping into muscle cars as far as what you could actually do with a classic car. And, you know, I, I hope you realize what you've given to this industry from what you've created that, uh, cars probably wouldn't be enjoyable to drive today. Yep. <laughs> you know, if it wasn't, if it wasn't, we'd still be, you know, cruising around well, on, on one inch, you know, one twenty wall control arms with rubber bushings and, and Alden Eagle, you know, coilovers, right. spring retainers. Right. Yeah. Just wound yeah. up super tight with, you know, 8,000 pound springs 20, and one twenty four inch long yeah. single through bolts on the bottom. Right. And, and, let, and just letting, letting air pressure out of the tires to make them ride good. So, well, no, I, I, I appreciate it. You know, I think we, we've all come a long way, right? Anybody's building cars, been building cars for a while to to doing parts it's so much different now than it was 10 15 20 years ago and i appreciate it and i had a lot of people and still have a lot of people in this industry i look up to troy i'm a i'm a big fanboy of troy and we're probably the same age almost but i've always looked up to him just a great person right let alone like yeah. you said jeremy what he builds and his team um but you know bobby alloway and lobeck was big when i came into the industry sure. i talked to lobeck and um, Brizio and all those guys, I still really look up to. Yeah, Lobeck was badass because we were doing <laughs> we were doing thirties cars at that time. My only gripe, and I don't want to talk shit, you know, I know he's he's passed away. He just kind of like looked like my grandma, you know. <laughs> yeah. Lobeck always looked like an old lady. He got a lot of shit. Yeah. Like that. You know, yeah. Phenomenal dude. I mean, I, I heard the guy partied his he, ass he off and everything, him. but yeah, he, he did. <laughs> well, he did. You you have always done it with class. That's that's something that that I will. I will always say, um, regardless, I mean, win, lose, highs, lows, kicking ass, whatever it is, no matter what it is, you're just, you're class. I mean, it's, uh, you got, you got a swagger about you. You've got, you know, you're, you're nice to everybody. You'll, you'll tell everybody the truth. And it's one of those that's, you know, as well as I do, there's, there's the show face that some people put on and then there's the real deal. And, uh, you're the same guy. It's uh, always have been um, something Thank I've you. always appreciated. Yeah. Um, in addition to that, you're one of the few that is done car building at the quality and the volume that you've done, as well as the manufacturing at the quality and the level that you've done. Um, we talk about it all the time when we're, you know, 
marketing ourselves and talking to customers and stuff, we think that that's what makes both of our sides better is the, is right. the other one. It pushes each other. I agree. Um, and right. you're one of really the only other one that I know out there that does it to that volume on both sides and that quality. And that's a difficult, speaking from experience, that's a difficult thing to, Hard do. to do. That's, that's, yeah. that's a, that's a juggle in and of itself. Um, once you get to the level that, you know, that, that you're at, it's a, that's because most people are probably smarter than all of us. If the, if the, <laughs> if the manufacturing was going that great, like it, you know, like it was, you just, you just shit can the car builds. You know, build, you'd go back to that garage, you know, in the backyard and build one, and build one at build. home and just yeah. keep cranking right. the products. It's, yeah, cars are phenomenal, but man, they will rip your heart out of your chest and stomp they, all they over. Do. We, <laughs> we, we should all have a chapter in a book that somebody should write to, to do that. But you're right, it's hard. And I, I appreciate that. I mean, I, of any strength I've ever had, it's probably hiring people to do something better than I can do. And that's pretty easy to do. But I mean, you know, on the car team side, we had just a great group of guys. Um, on the manufacturing side, great group of people, great group of people in engineering too. It was just over time, I just putting people in place and some, some came and went, you know how it is, but I mean, you try and find that right person that makes a part of the team because no one person can go out and build a car. Some people think they can, yep. and, and you've had people probably leave your shop and think they can go do a Jeremy and Phil and Josh does. But I mean, it, it's hard. It takes the whole team and, and they learn that later. But, um, same for me, you've trained some, I've trained some of our people that are new in the industry building cars. And I'm glad they're building cars you know i mean there, there always needs to be people doing that but i think they realize it's the whole team that makes it work does that uh as many times as that's happened have you gotten over it or is it is it still just hurt a little bit when <laughs> when you put that you know there's only th three or four people listen to this podcast don't worry it's like nobody listens so uh, <laughs> that's a difficult one when and we don't have to go too deep into it but everybody's got those stories and you know what you've done for some of those guys and it's great you you never want to hold yeah. somebody down but at the same time you're kind of like oh that kind of sucks like yeah am i not good enough like why don't you you want to you want to work here it's hard you know i think you never get used to it you get calloused to it over time you know where it kind of hurts less but people are always really uh, important to me our people are really important um coming from gm i understood what the benefits were at a big company right um, you know, vacation days, personal time off, benefits, things like that. And I always really stretched 401k, always really stretched to have our people have the best that we could afford. And I remember sometimes our CPA would look at us and like, why are you guys paying these people this or, or giving them this benefits? And it, it was, we weren't making much in profit, yep. but we were building a team, you know, and I guess that was my long game was as long as we had good people, we treated customers right and we gave them a great product. We're, we're going to get there in the long game. And, um, we just stuck to it and, and kept building a better team all the time. It's not that different from building a card, getting your start. You're always donating, donating, donating to get it to where you want to be until it eventually pays off five, 10 years down the line. And then you can kind of right. recoup some of the, uh, the initial investment, if you will. Right. And, and I think anybody that's been in business for one day or five years, you always think, when am I ever going to make it right? When will you know if you make it? And you still have to put money in of your personal money to make it go a lot of times. And it takes a long time to make it work. Hey, you just got to give it like a couple decades and then it, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Speaking of CPAs, did those CPAs never talk to you about why are we buying jack stands than just to blast them and then body work them, paint them, and then rub them out? <laughs> <laughs> they never, 
I always buried that. I ne- they never saw that, I don't think. <laughs> oh, man. That's something that will be etched into my memory forever. Those purple jack stands yeah. and the purple machinery and how yeah. nice and clean everything is. And I mean, <laughs> the jack stands are all faced one way. I mean, I even said something. Like, oh, that's nice that they're all lined up, whatever. You can and see them in the back of There's yeah. a purple one back. Yeah, there's probably still some in here. He's like, that's not by accident. <laughs> They'll always be lined yeah. up that way. They better be lined up that way. <laughs> well, it's, I definitely had my had my pet peeves and still do. Yeah. The guys give me trouble about that. Yeah, it's how you do something. It's how you do everything, right? That yeah. comes up all the time. Yeah, but you don't need to wet sand the inside of the jack jack. Like out of the gun, you, you know, out what? of the gun finish. Yeah, you, you, it'd, it'd be, probably be better to mask it and bedline it. Yeah, <laughs> so it can, yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> oh, sorry, we got a little yeah, we're getting off a little off track. Hey, that's just the way it is, you know. When the, when the whiskey starts flowing so you're rolling you're building subframes you're, you're looking at other stuff you did you know you came out and, and changed the game again on, on some mustang stuff and um you're always pushing so where where was your mind at at that point you know you're you're five six seven years in you're manufacturing everything's kind of rolling what's uh what's your what's on your radar what are you thinking where are you at it was still to you know, on both sides to, to go after that next application as we finished the Camaros, Novas, you know, worked in the Chevelles, um, did the Mustangs. And, and like all of us, you're always chasing, hey, what's the next big thing, right? And um, we came up on the second gen Camaros to the, to the Mustangs then. And um, we were late to the trucks because the trucks really took off and we were still working in some of the car business. But um, you were, we were always watching. You go to those shows, you go to the events. And if you're a good listener, you know, you, you're going to be told what you need to do next. And, and I guess that's kind of how we followed it because we're always on the road so much and filter out what you hear sometimes. But you can get a lot of that intel and know what you need to do next. And it was really just going on to the next application of that next person that had generational money, you know, out of high school. They wanted this car, never had it. They had a little money. What's that car now? And it went from the 60s to 70s to 80s, now 90s, right? So um, we were always paying attention to that. And on the car build side, just trying to, like we always do, learn on each build and trying to build the next car better. And as you build the next car better and people are happy, you get another customer, repeat customer that you can build a better one for. And you guys know that too. It's what you work for is to, a lot of times we all want to build the car the way we want to do it. But you still, at the end of the day, you have to build it for what the customer wants. It's paying for it. And, and we've had customers that let us do our influence and, build it kind of our style, but it always has to be what the customer wants. It's interesting. You talk about, you know, listening to the customers at the shows and you do, you, you can very quickly pick up what those trends are. You also have to filter some cause the 39 right. Plymouth, Studebaker. <laughs> 39 Plymouth has come up at just about every show <laughs> that's, that's ever been done. 29 Essex, right. 29 Essex. Yeah. yeah. The, so with the product side, um, a lot of guys are out there that kind of quick rush to market, get something done. Um, how important do you feel the R and D building something, testing it is to bring it to market, especially something as critical as, you know, the suspension side of things? Yeah, it's hard not to rush it. I mean, you see, and you know, the companies that, you know, they stick it together, they powder coat it, whatever their color deal is what and companies bring it to market. <laughs> <laughs> one of, I got a list. One of these days um, you're going to get somebody to, I just yeah, slide it in. as <laughs> casually as you drop it, somebody's going to just fire it back <laughs> it's the same list you guys have but it, it is it, it's hard to to do that extra you know i mean we we would run these cars like you did we, we were running the cars just every weekend we could and we we broke things or we learned how to 
make a better shock adjustment or come back and valve the shocks and go back next weekend and just make it better. And, and, um, we were always good about anything we were good at. We were always good about holding back. And I think that was probably from what I learned at GM on the development side was just, it needs to be as good as we can make it. And yeah, you can't engineer it to death. Can't make it perfect, but you can get as close as you can. And, um, it's hard. I mean, but you can't wait until the, you know, that product line is over peak either. You got to try and reach it before it gets to peak. And, um, it, it's hard to develop the parts that far along and refine the, the fixtures to make it repeatable to make it where you can make money on it. Um, and come out with it cause you're so excited to bring it out, but it, it takes an, at least another year for us to bring it to market after we're, we're driving on it. I think that's one thing that's always set you guys apart. And there's a handful of companies. I think we do the same thing that you're out there beating the living hell out of it to make sure that it is something that you're proud to sell. And yeah. I don't know if you go through this same test, but we kind of go with the, yeah, I could sleep at night with no problems, uh, put right. that out there and, or the Phil didn't right. break it. Test. Yeah, or yeah. I didn't break it. So. <laughs> right. Or the fence now in Texas it, didn't break it. No, that broke it. The <laughs> yeah, I was there. Yeah, the fence in Texas, <laughs> it broke it all. Like not the suspension, just the, the, yeah, the, the bumper, the hood, yeah, yeah. the grill. I I didn't see it, but I was like right there, and I had my head turned, and somebody said, "Hey, uh, Phil went through or got into the fence." And I looked around, and was like, "Oh, Phil went through the fence." <laughs> but I, you were on you were on kill that day, man. You were going. Yeah, I had the fastest time in the autocross. It just ran out of runway on <laughs> the stop zone. side. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that fence was close. I'll give you credit. Yeah. You shouldn't have put Fuck it there. Fence. I blame that all on Trent for setting that course up that way. <laughs> uh, I, I've got out behind the shop. I still have all my crashed cars. So I, we could still go through and tell you each weekend where they were crashed. At. <laughs> Do you have the wheel from the rental car in uh, good oh, guys, Texas? Wait, wait, Boy, I just wait. told Josh about this. <laughs> we, we're so saving I've, that to then. Okay. Yeah, we get it. Well, first, once we get done with some standard questions and all that, we did this with Troy last week. We, it's we gonna be hard segment. to beat. Troy's we have a segment story. called Story Time, right? And it's okay. just funny ass stories that most people, if you're not in the inner circle, they've never heard, right? And it could okay. be a story about SEMA or traveling or car shows or whatever. And and Troy stayed on, and he brought the heat. He brought three <laughs> or four stories yes. that had us dying. Bangers. So if you if if you have the time, we would love for you yeah. to stay along for Story Time and tell us some of those. And uh, yeah, maybe the rental car story could be that, one. That of was. I remember that now, guy. It was the HHR, wasn't it? It was. That's what yeah. it was. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll dive, get there. Diving back into the product side of things. <laughs> you know, I, I'll, yeah, I'll say, you know, this is something, Kyle, that I've always been impressed with that's actually helped us and our car builds quite a bit. Outside of just your suspension products, I think you've done a phenomenal job of offering, uh, you know, build parts, parts that you've engineered or parts that you've sourced that make a car work really well. And, you know, still to this day, I mean, I, I'd say 90% of the cars we use or we build have a DSE wiper motor, a DSE booster kit in them and a, yeah, you know, a mini variety of yeah, mini tubs in the Camaro, all sorts of different things that like those, those would be great products for us to make anybody, but what's, you know, they're, they're available. Yep. It's, it's phenomenal and stuff. It you just know it works. There's no reason to make it any better. No reason to change it. So, that's been, I think, helpful for all the builders out there, which is it's proven stuff. You know, when something become when when your product that you manufacture becomes so commonplace, is commonplace as that tire size that you know we all like to run. You know, or that mm -hmm. it's just the same thing. It's it's like you've got your 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 
five bullet points of like, well, it's this, 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 and this, and then we can deviate, you know, and customize right. a little bit of this, but it's got to have these things. And it's just a standard. I mean, it's no different than, you know, your hardware that you're going to use. You're going to use the same hardware. You're going to use the DSC right. master booster combo and, and stuff like that. And a, and a low car e-brake cable, because let's face it, who's nothing else out why there. Has nobody right. come on and knock that off yet. After this right. many no, years. I agree. <laughs> no, it, it, it's things you learn, you know, building cars, you think, Hey, there's not a product here to fix this problem. And if you're on the parts business side, you, you go and find a widget, make a widget to service that void in the market. And just like you guys are building cars, you find voids in the market and, and, um, that's a risk. Some hit, I always think, you know, this is going to be the greatest part and then they don't sell. You sell two or three of them, you know, but, um, you, you win some, you lose some, but a lot of that came from building cars and just finding voids in the aftermarket marketplace. That's what I was going to say. It's like everything you've come out with has been, there's no other option for there besides a old, you know, restored wiper motor, or a Napa rebuilt wiper motor. Like how right. do you, how do you take the jump from building suspension to, yeah, fuck it. Let's build wiper motors. That's a cool piece. <laughs> I know. I, I guess just cause I'm a gadget guy, right? A widget and a gadget guy. Um, it was just a challenge. And, you know, Stilo and I are buddies. Uh, Mark Stilo and I went to engineering school together. And, of course, a big influence in what we all do. And um, Mark was actually the one that came up with that first um, system. And, and Mark's like um, the mad scientist, right? He's like, he can figure out how to build one, and he's not interested in building two. And so we were around working through that. But I have to give Mark credit for that first wiper kit. He's the one that really made that work. And used some OE parts because he was in the GM world and science it out. And then we just made it, made it work in the aftermarket. Well, I thought the $1,200 purple Jack stand pair was going to, was going to fly <laughs> off the shelves, but <laughs> you, you tried selling them. Huh? Yeah. No, he did. He, it was a special edition. There was a little bit of, there was a little bit of orange peel on the underside of the handle. Yeah. yeah that's what maybe. Is. Yeah. Should have went to five thousand on uh, <laughs> West Sand. <laughs> what you get for cutting corners? Yeah. Just just gonna hack right. these jack stands, get them out there. <laughs> so af after you've created a titan in the manufacturing, you created a, a titan in uh, car building. I mean, you're winning uh, uh, some deal called SEMA Battle of the Builders twice or something like that. I don't know. Which it's I think some, he, him it's winning some, it, some a small award. Him winning it twice, there. I think meant we must have lost it twice because we were we were in it quite a bit. Yeah. So but, yeah. But one he, or two or one it twice. Yeah. yeah, again, we got to see the back of your head and the taillights. You got to see the back of that leather jacket is what you got to see. Yeah, there were nice taillights in the black Camaro. I'll give you that. <laughs> I've lost more of those than we've won. I'll tell you that. But it, so we, it, it's a cool deal. So after after all of that, then you decide, you know what would be cool? Let me buy a third member company. CNR Racing's driveline division. You're like, fuck yeah, let's do it. And uh Take that over, start gear effects, and uh, start building third members. And uh, if you didn't have enough free time, I guess that took the rest of it. It did. I don't know what I was thinking, but at the same time, it was a good move. Um, it's something that, you know, was, I'll just call it an underserved area of the market, of our market, because there's definitely people that know how to build third members, whether you're circle track racing or drag racing or off-roading or whatever. They get it. They know how to do their niche. But in our industry, it's part race parts and part Lexus, Mercedes, you know, I mean, really high-end, quiet stuff that people spend money on these cars. So it was a problem. We all had the same problem. And as we built more and more rear suspensions and upselled, you know, upsold to the rear axle and complete assemblies, you had what was always the common denominator, callbacks were gear noise. So um, it was a big problem. And I'd always take our customer gears first. I would ship them back on our, on our nickel. 
from a customer and they were always in Washington state, you know, furthest from <laughs> North course. Carolina and we'd ship a, a third member back to us. I'd take the CNR, they would fix it and I'd ship it back. So we're just going in the hole every time we sold a third member. So anyway, when CNR was bought out by uh, PWR, um, Keys, great Australian, if you ever spend some time with Keys, great, great guy, salt of the earth, gearhead, racer, machinist, gadget guy, really cool guy. He, he had uh, PWR and he wanted CNR, but he didn't want anything to do with the North Carolina kind of Mooresville area because it was here to service NASCAR, building uh, NASCAR gearboxes and NASCAR third members. So he had come to me at SEMA a few times like, Kyle, you need to buy this business. I'm like, Keys, I have no idea how to do that business and I have no business buying it. I can't buy it. He had a deal put together with some other people in the aftermarket, people you guys would probably know. And again, Keys is a salt of the earth guy. They pissed him off. And uh, Keys came back to me and he's like, look, I'm not selling to these guys, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and said, let's, let's go to dinner. So we went to dinner one night at SEMA and I'm like, I don't know how to do this. So he came to Mooresville a few months later and we put the deal together over some drinks. And uh, I said, Keys, you know, CNR is this big and I want this much of it. I can make it go on this much of it. And he's like, well, give me a price. I gave him a price and he went for it. And I'm like, oh my God, it's like that. It's like that. 57 Buick you buy, it's like, man, it's a cool car, and I know I could do this, and I got these parts I could put on it, I could have this thing running, but I'll just throw it out there, and he probably won't go for it, and then end up with a 57 Buick you don't need, <laughs> you know, kind of like that, but with a business, you know? So, good um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was like, wow, what did I do? And uh, But a great team of people, and I knew what the market needed, and I knew what I wanted to do and grow it, and uh, we had a good start on that. It was really cool, and I wanted to keep that business. Um, because I, it was a good group of guys, um, and we had a lot more we could grow into there. Yeah, great stuff. We've used you know a handful of them. Awesome product for sure. Just like everything else Thank you've you. done, man, top notch. Thank you. Well, it's always been a great group of people, you know, behind the scenes, and you know how it is. Like it, especially like Battle of Builders. You know, it's like your names are up there taking all the credit, and I'm a type of guy that I feel bad about that. I always come back Monday morning as soon as I can get back. Like, hey, you know, this is what we did. And you see me on the poster. You see you guys on the poster, Alloway Chip, you know, Troy. But it's really the team of people back at the shop that needed all the credit. But, you know, somebody has to get up there and promote it and talk about it, too. But I always felt guilty, to tell you the truth, about taking some of that credit because it's all the guys back in the shop making it happen. Yeah, I get that 100%. And it is. It's it's interesting how it does. It it almost sours it because it's tough to stand there. But there there has to be one person right. so somebody's gotta get up yeah, there it's it, the whole time it's almost like cringing yeah it's, it's a little like, cringe yeah. really like you feel you know, you yeah. certainly feel guilty that you know we were just yeah. up there for the the good guys deal we debuted that obs truck and we we were fortunate right. to have a good chunk of the crew there with us yeah good. and it, it was worked on the yeah, track it's, it's nice when when the opportunity presents itself that you can have the gang there. It's funny right. too when you bring, when you bring those it. 10, 12, 14 guys that were working on it, whatever. It's like, all right, now it's your turn to shine. Get up there by the truck. It's it, always like, it, uh, it, no, 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 they don't want to. Right. Yeah. You go do that, them. boss. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, somebody's got to <laughs> fucking do it. You know, like... and that was so many times, you know, you're sitting there at SEMA and they're about to announce, they've got the card and they're about to announce who's winning. And I'm looking at like you guys or Alloway or somebody thinking, all right, they're going to win it. And I want to see their expression. And then I'm off the hook. I don't have to deal with this and, <laughs> and feel guilty or take it back to the shop. But, uh, you know, a couple of times it was us and very fortunate to be in that place with the car, the customer and what the guys have built. Yeah, they're well-deserving badass cars. For sure. Well, if, speaking of the cars, what's some of the, 
if you had to pick one or two of your favorite builds to be a part of for whatever reason, um, what would some of those highlights been? You know, it's, <clears throat> it's hard to do one, but, um, I have a top five, but probably the one that I loved the most was that 41 Willis that we did for, uh, Mike and Janie down in Texas, uh, awesome, awesome, real 41 Willis steel car. And, uh, I love driving that car. It was always fun to drive. That was, uh, that was a game changer. That was, I was, I was going to share my, you know, my favorites. Oh, that was ahead. the Dale, the Dale junior car. Okay. And yeah. it was, I, I call it a Willys. You know, up, here, Willis, up, up here in Chicago. Oh, yeah. So they give we, me shit. We call it that. I call it a Willis and uh, they do not. But like those that. two cars, I feel like when the Dale Jr. So you're Willie or you're Willa? He's a Willie. Yeah. Willie. Yeah, Willie. <laughs> when the Dale Jr. Came, car came out, that was kind of a game changer. You know, that thing stood out. The fucking had car a was, lot of NASCAR. It did. You know, and the, the, the A-pillar tie-ins. A lot of stuff. cool stuff. But the, but the Willies was nasty. I mean, you're so used to seeing the outlaw body with the 20-inch right. wheels and a right. ramjet 502 with every street and performance accessory on it right. but to see House one colors yeah tangelo right. oh, i'm but yeah. to I'm see friends one. with kyle and i remember being at columbus like, right when it, fuck it, i was i was mfing him too because i was like yeah. that thing won't fucking drive you can't drive it that fucking low there's no it's, way you can drive it that cool. fucking low i mean that thing's crazy yeah. low it, but it was that it, it hit sick. it all i mean it was as yeah. cool as the nastiest 41 wheelies gasser yeah but but as drivable as a you know any your pro touring 69 Thank 70 you. camaros i think was that was a gamble too that wasn't i mean it was yeah, yeah. It'd be yeah nobody had kind of like touched that style of car but you had a phenomenal blend of like the pro touring stance and components but still the the nod to all the nostalgic right. stuff where all the old school right. guys could recognize it all the new school guys could recognize it and it, it and that, that car had race history too phil i mean it was uh bernstein actually drove that car some in his early career there's pictures um, so it was always a drag race car and just yeah. beat to hell when we got it crashed. I mean, rolled everything, but it had a lot of cool race history. That's wild. Just thinking about that Willis, um, and how it was done. It might, it reminds me how many times Kyle and Detroit speed's been brought up at interior shops. Cause it's always when like it comes to the trunk, in oh, it comes into the trunk and it's kind of like, like, yeah, we'll just kind of like, you know, do some like, you know, simple race shit and all that stuff. And it's like, oh no, we're going to you know, do all this carpet and leather and these waterfalls. I'm like, no, don't, don't worry about the trunk. Kyle Tucker gets away with it all the fucking time. He has an upholstered trunk since he's been in yeah. fucking bit. Oh, we lost him. We lost Kyle. Welcome back. Uh, thanks, guys. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, we yep. got you. Oh, good. I've got like 14%, but I'm going to pour another drink after all that. <laughs> Perfect. We made three. I saw, I was watching. <laughs> I'm impressed, Jeremy. Thanks. With the smoke show yeah. and was it an apple? Yeah, he's I'm uh, coming for Thanksgiving, all right? Anytime, how many, how many spots do you have? We're wide open, dude. There'll yeah. always be a seat at the table for you, Kyle. Yeah, you can <laughs> also catch him pretty much any Friday night at TGI Fridays. Oh, yeah. Uh, you got it. If I'm not cooking uh, that Jack Daniels uh, ribeye, I'm, I'm drinking the, the, J, <laughs> the JD old uh, fashioned. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you got a little, little more power. We can, we can roll back through. Oh. Yeah, no, I'm good too for long. Where did we leave You're off? Fi I'm, I'm fine on time. I'm just sorry we're <laughs> limited by battery and technology here tonight. So can where, where are you at right now, Kyle? You so I'm at, I'm in Mooresville. Okay. Um, at my shop, which is, um, my shop is a smaller building, just uh, kind of on the same property as Detroit Speed, but um, kind of a, across the field a little bit. 
Well, yes. So I kept, I kept this building just for my office and some of my junk. Sweet. I guess that kind of is a natural progression and brings us to the next phase. And we, we talked about, you know, building up Detroit speed and cars and manufacturing and suspension and gear FX. And then, um, every, after everything's rolling so good, um, what, what happens then? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, we still have a long to-do list and, um, everything's rolling along, still hiring people, um, buying equipment and looking for the next deal, right. Making the cars better and trying to make the parts better and go to the next product. And, and Holly, uh, had approached me about six or seven years ago about uh, purchasing a company i'm like no you know I'm, I'm still i've got a lot i want to do we've got a great team so i'm good thank you but i'm good it made me feel good but i'm good and uh they started calling back in um first part of 2020 well let me back up a little bit i had a company at sema um that had approached me that wanted to buy and I, I kept thinking about you know i'm not ready for this i haven't prepped the company i'm not interested in selling but I thought, you know, it's kind of like an interview. The more you do, the better you get, the more practice and things like that. So I talked to this company, we'll call it a company first. And um, timing just wasn't quite right as we got a little further along. But I learned some things through it, what they look for, what they don't look for. And I thought I would just bag that and put it in future reference, right, when I need to prep the business, when I want to exit. And uh, about that time, when that deal kind of fizzled out, Holly started calling again. And they're like, hey, we... We want to get into the game, chassis suspension, and you're on our list. And um, I just said, again, no, I'm not interested. We've got a lot we want to do. I'm having fun. We've got a long list of things that, that's going right. And I, I I just put them off. And I don't know if you know Tom. Tom Tomlinson's a, a, a gearhead, CEO of Holly. Their executive team are led by a lot of smart guys, big brain guys, but gearhead guys too. And Tom kept calling me. And we set up finally on a, a – I think it was every three weeks we would talk right on a Monday and uh, sometimes we'd just talk about cars. Sometimes business would pop into it and I would ask him questions about, you know, the big business that they were into. And, and finally we, as 2020 kind of went along, he softened me up a little bit and started telling me why they wanted in the business and what it would look like. And so I said, a maybe, and that was kind of the crack in the door. And, uh, you know, long story short, they were great to work with. Um, I told them, you know, this is how I would see it because I've not prepped the business for sale. I don't really want to, but I made a list and had a long talk with myself of one day, if I could sell the business, who would I approach? What would I want out of it? Not necessarily monetarily, but how would I want it to go down for the employees, the brand, me, all that. And, um, you know, the biggest thing being a gearhead is like, all right, what cars can I keep? You know, I've got, <laughs> I've got cars, I've got projects I set to the side. I want to build one day. So we came up with a kind of a letter of intent. And, you know, I kept thinking you know, all along the way as we went through negotiations and kind of the diligence, I should call it, for months and months and months. Um, I kept thinking at some point they're going to throw me a curveball and I just won't sell, but I've learned a lot. It's like two jobs, three jobs for me now because I'm doing this through the day and doing this at night, um, getting dated to them. But to Holly's credit, they never threw me a curveball. Um, I told them what was important to me to see the brand go forward in the future. What I wanted out of it, again, from not necessarily monetarily, that was part of it, but what I wanted to keep cars and trucks and trailers and equipment and just personal items that, you know, it's my life. It's uh, pictures and, um, you know, memories and trophies. And the trophies aren't that big a deal, but it's just certain things you accumulate because this is my golf game. 
my beach game, my racquetball game. It's everything. I, I'm just, I'm a, all I'm into is cars. So it was important that I could keep what I wanted out of it. And they were true to the T all the way through. It's awesome. I couldn't go to a more deserving guy. That's for sure. I mean, it's, it's great that you've gotten, you know, kind of the, I'm sure you're still working hard, um, but you've gotten a lot of that. I mean, you should have done it before you got a little gray, but I mean, you got- <laughs> <laughs> I think that was, well, there's a couple of reasons for the gray part, but that's a different story. But, um, you know, it's been good. It's hard to go like, you know how it is, just wide open throttle all the time for years and years and years. And and then to back off and not have the day-to-day of the business. And there was some transition I tried to help with. And looking back, I wish the transition could have even went better, not necessarily from Holly's side, but even my side, because it happened at the end of the year for several reasons. And I was on, my wife and I had a vacation plan, like December 18th, we're going to Mexico, right? It's planned. I don't know if I'll have signal because we were supposed to close on the business the day before. And I'm like, look, guys, we're going. And I'll, I'll check in with you. If we have cell service, I'll check in with you. Maybe we can close over the phone. So it's like, here's Kyle from Podunk, Missouri, closing with a team of lawyers and big brain guys. And I'm sitting on the beach at 930 in the morning with a Jack Daniels in my hand <laughs> in Mexico. And all I had to do was say yes. And that was it. Wow. <laughs> so we, we did the deal and um, went on vacation. I came back, you know, it started the year and it, it was awkward, you think, for the employees looking back and um, just the way it went down. But it, it's never a right time to tell the employees, hey, this is what happened. At the same time, I couldn't tell them beforehand. And, and there's just looking back, there's not a, a perfect script I think you can write to do it, you know, in everybody's eyes to try and not hurt feelings. Sure. Are you still getting, <clears throat> are you still getting to race or are you actually getting to race more? I know you've done Bajas, you know, for a couple of times for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I love Baja. It's like my vacation to myself, you know, probably gosh, going on 12 years now and, um, getting ready to go back this year, putting a deal together and, um, yeah, still been racing some, not as near as much as I have been. I'm, I'm, uh, working on updating some of the cars, um, that I've always ran, um, put some new parts on a new driveline in those and working on some of the projects I set to the side, but yeah, I'm still racing and still going back to Baja this year. Sweet. We talked to uh, Jerry from uh, Camberg Off-Road, and we were just kind of starstruck a little bit. Um, in our minds, like a trophy truck running Baja is like the coolest of the cool. Is yeah. it everything it's cracked up to be? And if it's not, don't kill my dreams, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it is everything, Phil. I mean, you guys need to go do that. I mean, uh, what you're doing with the off-road chassis and frame packages and what you've done with the buggies and things, I mean, it it's hard to describe it's just the feeling you get down there one the country is so beautiful you know i mean the scenery is so beautiful but the people embrace it it's their super bowl the baja 1000 the baja 500 is their super bowl the world series the stanley cup everything boiled into like 48 hours right and it's uh, so much to them as the country and the people but um the race itself is everything it's cracked up to be and it's uh the stories you've heard about how hard it is physically mentally mechanically um and then the race strategy and just physically getting through it it's uh it's awesome it's definitely on the bucket list i've looked at a couple of utv trips that do like a a run from baja it's like 250 miles over three days and yeah that's one of the like absolute top of the bucket list that i want to do is run baja and something yeah no it it is i still love it you know it's time consuming we go down and we pre-run um, with BF Goodrich, 
at least a week um, before the race. And it's usually right after SEMA. So it's like the month of November you're checked out, but um, you know, it's pre-run and get your act together, try and get hydrated and then race week. And uh, that's just an awesome time. That's pretty sweet. So go ahead. Well, I'm just curious now because knowing the type of person that you are, Kyle, I don't, you don't strike me as somebody that's just going to sit in your shop tinkering with cars. <laughs> So what does the future hold for Kyle Tucker? Are you ready to to, to let the world know? It's got to be, yeah. be something exciting well, on the horizon. There, There is. You know, I'm helping Holly. Um, they wanted me to work 40 hours a week, and I said, no, I'm probably a terrible employee after working for myself <laughs> for so long. And uh, so we agreed to like 20 hours a week. I'm helping with developing some of the new product strategy and new product development on the cars. And um, I've got things I still want to finish for them. But, you know, 20 hours a week is like a day and a half for me after, you know, all the years you work like you work to, to try and be successful in this industry. And so it leaves a lot of extra time. But at the same time, you know, for 20 years, I was so on the gas with work, work, work and too scared not to work, you know, to go in and try and make the next part part or finish the next car do the next business deal, um, that I set a lot of things to the side. So I'm very fortunate now, now with the family I have to spend a little time with the kids and nice. learn to be a stepdad, um, with teenagers, it's hard to do, but I'm having <laughs> fun and, uh, you know, spending time with Jordan and, um, enjoying that life. But at the same time, balancing what I want to do with all the projects I set to the side. Um, and, uh, it, it's, it's been really fun. So that's keep me busy the first kind of year and a half. But I definitely have things I'm working on, kind of science projects on the side, um, working on Chevrolet on one of the new Camaro projects with them on some riding handling. So that's that's really fun to me and, and Ty and Holly into that, too, um, and may do some racing with that program um, in, the, in the next future, even in, in the near future, even in February down at Daytona. So um, lining some of that up. And, um, at the same time, yeah, I still, I'm young enough. I, the industry means everything to me. Um, I love getting younger people into this industry and, and we're fortunate that we're fortunate to work in to see what it's like. So it's important to me to bring new people and attract younger people into the industry and still stay working in the industry. It's all I've done. It's all I know is cars and either OEMs or aftermarket. February in Daytona, is that some 24 hour racing? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we, uh, are you going to answer our phone if we if we like just show up down in uh, down in Daytona? <laughs> yeah, we know. Yeah, we, yeah, we know Kyle. We're here. Yeah, we're here with Kyle. Yeah, Kyle. Well, you, you know, you guys bring those jiggers and the shakers and everything. No, for after the race, right? <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> uh, well, now we come to the part of the standard questions that we ask every single guest. Um, this is this is what the fans want. They want to hear these standard questions because you'd be amazed, Kyle. I don't know if you've ever listened to an episode. You'd be amazed at the answers that we get from some of our guests. Uh, but first up, what is your favorite SEMA story? But if it's, if it, if you're saving that for story time, then we'll bypass that and go to the next one. If it's, yeah, a good... let, let me think. Um, let me think. I mean, he's won Battle of the Builders twice. So how? Like, how oh, do, you're right. Okay. Yeah, so how do you hone in on like, Battle of the Builders? So the first Battle of the Builders more times was... than everybody else's went. Yeah. <laughs> now one more time than anybody else, but I've lost <laughs> just lost just as much as anybody else, right? Um, those are definitely special moments, you know, being up there. And I remember the first year, I'm looking at Jeff Kinsey's thinking, JSK with that 
that you know that car door. that they built it, yeah, yeah. A orange four door they brought i'm like that's the winner so i'm looking at jeff and we just snuck over to the side while they were on like tv break to work through things and we're eating tacos and drinking beers i'm like you got this so i'm looking at him when they announced my name so it, it's really crazy and and um you know the second time we won the same thing it's uh the least i expected um to be able to win we brought a great car there's so many great cars there that i look up to and I guess the neatest thing about that is you get to spend time with your peers that respect the car you brought, like, like you guys, you know, we get to spend a day talking cars with each other and yeah, there's some TV foo-foo going on and, and things for SEMA, but it's really fun that, and, and I guess fulfilling to me that you've got you guys, you know, Jeremy and Phil from Roadster Shop and, and you've got Alloway and you, or you've got Chip or you've got, you know, Leach, Andy Leach, all these guys, and you get to talk, talk cars. And it's just really, really cool to me to be able to um, be that way with your peers and hang out at SEMA at that level. So that, that's probably one of the coolest stories. We've all got the parties, right? And you guys throw some of the biggest parties in the past. But you've got that, and you've got the dinners. But um, SEMA was always hard, you know, because we went, we were there as a, you know, to, to exhibit. We were there to hopefully bring a car to compete by Friday or Saturday night or by Friday night. And then we're competing in Optima and the ultimate streetcar deal by Friday night and Saturday and Sunday. So it was always a real ball buster week, right? Um, to get through and, uh, no complaints, no regrets, but it was just draining by the time you got the end of the week. And then Sunday night we packed the trailer up at Las Vegas motor speedway and I'm headed to Mexico for pre-run. So it's, it's just, uh, Looking back, it's like, wow, how did you do that? But you're just so on adrenaline rush to get through it. It's all highs. You and know? you get back no to month. the shop in three weeks, and everyone's like, must be nice. Went out in Vegas, <laughs> had a great time. <laughs> you're right. Now you have like a sinus infection. You're sick from being in Mexico, and then there's Thanksgiving and family, right? Yeah. I'd say the month leading so, up to SEMA is usually pretty relaxing as well. So yeah, that's you, know, a, you, can, you can gain right. your energy there. That's a walk yeah, in the and, park. And, <laughs> Like pure Einstein, for some reason, we used to do Charlotte Good Guys, right? was in town yeah. right before we left for SEMA. So we always did this big party open house. Like the I weekend, we're trying to load and go that. to SEMA. Yeah, it's going to be brutal. And it was, it, it was brutal. But we had each time we kept getting it bigger and better and, and more people. And it was a blast. I, love, I loved our open houses and seeing everybody. You, you did do one thing, right, that we learned. It, it took a while, but uh, having a driver. So it used to be me and my old man. We'd get in the truck and make that run to SEMA. <laughs> so we'd be right. like driving 24 hours straight to get there and then be worn out by the time we get there. Yeah, that turned your 10-day SEMA deal into like a 13-day, 14-day yeah. SEMA. Yeah, your, your dad was hardcore, though. I mean, he uh, <laughs> I looked up to him in so many ways and always looked forward to seeing him and talking just whatever he wanted to talk about. It was so fun. <laughs> That's awesome to hear, man. He was such a nice guy, too, On and told you, you know, it didn't matter what he was thinking. He would always sugarcoat it just a little bit, you know, to make you feel good about <laughs> yeah, yourself right. and stuff. Oh, yeah, definitely. It was sugarcoated. <laughs> yeah, but, you know. It was exactly, exactly what. There's one grain of sugar yeah. in there. It was zero <laughs> grains of sugar. Yeah. As I got to know him year after year and weekend after weekend, where we were all at, I'm like, man, would I love to be in the shop? Yeah. Like on a Tuesday midday. <laughs> When there's no nobody else around and just uh, hear what he's really like in the shop. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you would like that. Yeah, you, the, the, guys, yeah, the guys who were in the shop didn't really like that that much. You could be outside uh, of the shop sometimes and know what he was yeah. like. 
<laughs> but you know, I consider your dad a lot like Troy's dad, Jack. Yeah. I mean, oh my gosh, the Jack stories, and he he and I always hit it off, and um, luckily, um, but a lot of good times, a lot of good stories. But I know he was like super no BS at the shop, right? We've got to get this done. Oh, yeah. and we've got to make money. That's what all of us have to do. That's it. What's uh, the best car movie of all time? Oh, um, man. Well, outside of the typical, right? You guys ever seen Dust of Glory? Yeah. The original Dust of Glory, yeah. not Dust of Glory 2. Yep. I like you that on, one. You get on either Netflix or Prime, I think. It's got it. Dust of Glory, huh? That's a new one. By Dana Brown, the original, back in, uh, gosh, probably early 2000s it was on. But um, it's a pretty neat snapshot of some history of Baja and um, the race and what, what goes on with the racers and the motorcycle guys and everything. Let's check that out. Yeah. Uh, first car you ever owned? Mm. A 69 GMC short bed pickup. That was my go-to. Good, good truck. Short bed too. Not many. Yeah. Not many first is is a short bed. But being a farm kid, it had the true steel white spokes on it, right? And big mud and snows on the back. And uh, my dad was a hot rodder, so it kind of had skinny tires on the front, so you can get the look from there. Yeah. <laughs> nice little rake on yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> big rake. Little alloy rake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now. Because you were so gracious to stay on as long as your phone has power, uh, it's time for story time with Kyle Tucker. Yeah. Now we prefaced it earlier that Troy, Troy brought some heaters. All right, so <laughs> he held nothing back. He held nothing. There back. was no shame in Troy's game. Yeah, and this segment started off as just it was supposed to be roadster shop story time where we tell stories about the crap that's going on in the shop, but then we realized. Yep. That we're talking to some super cool people. And the guests and, have had better stories. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I urge you to go back and listen to Troy's episode to hear his story about Chip Foos and their trip to Japan. And that's all I'll okay. say. Um, I'll do it. it. It had us rolling. So <laughs> it's time for you to bring some story time. Well, one that... Um... I guess Jeremy and Phil and your dad, I don't know how many people we had in that HHR that night, but we were in Texas, I think, are good guys. And uh, it was like the, the Volkswagen, the Beetle clown car, right? I don't know how many people we had in there, but I swear it was like us. And I think Rick Love was in there from Vintage Air. Your dad. McLeod, I don't know how many people anyway. John had to be. Right. John probably from Classic. Yeah. And I think, guess we started at Babe's Chicken, right? That's yeah. where you go to eat dinner at, at least one night at Good Guys, Fort Worth. So we had been there, and um, I don't remember where. You guys will have to add to it where we went after that. But we were coming back, and didn't it start raining? It was, like, dark and rainy. Yeah, it started raining. We were heading back to the hotel, and uh, yeah. like, oh, Kyle's driving. We got this. Yeah, so I'm heading my handicap. I said it's raining. <laughs> he wasn't on rain and, tires, was he? Yeah, I wasn't on rain tires. We we had a dry setup in the in the HHR and everything in the rental. And uh, anyway, too much rear weight. Enterprise didn't yeah, hook some, that up. <laughs> some of those damn damn uh, farm to market roads, right? They start merging as you get on the highway. And all I remember is it's raining like hell. Everybody's laughing and having a good time in the car. Like I said, we must have went somewhere after Babes because we were 
having a good time. <laughs> and we come up on this merge lane and I'm like, I'm, I hate people in front of me, whether it's on the track or on the highway, I do not like people in front of me. So I'm trying to get in front of this guy. And all of a sudden, the last minute, I see this concrete curb into this merge lane and we we rocket this hhr up <laughs> off the curb on the left sides and we're like joey chitwitting it on the right side wheels and tires <laughs> for a while we merge in front of this cat whoever we were trying to beat to the merge lane and I'm like i got this it all settled down everybody's laughing high-fiving i think and we're going to the hotels and uh, pretty soon we start getting the the wedge on the left side going down, right? <laughs> so, I don't remember who I dropped off at the hotels first, but it's like wherever your hotel's at, we got to stop at the gas station first. They are up the left side because <laughs> they're going flat. And uh, so we dropped somebody off. We run over to the gas station. I think you guys were last to get out. And I we pump up the left side tires. And once we get out of the car, we see that like they're they're like waffled on the <laughs> flatted on the wheel steel wheels, right? Hubcaps are off. Yeah. And uh, totally flat spots on the wheels, on the steel wheels on the rental. So <laughs> drop somebody else, else off the next hotel, go to the gas station, pump them back up, do this three or four times over, and finally get uh, get the car, I guess, back to the track that night. Somehow I take the car back to the track, and I think Keith was with me. And um, we parked the rental there. Somehow we get back to our room. And I guess that was Saturday night. So Sunday morning we have to get up. I have to figure out how to get this rental back. One, enough that it can drive back to Enterprise where we were from and not get charged for two sets of wheels and tires. <laughs> so, I guess luckily the autocross was over by then. And we sober up, get to get to the track. And I remember I jack up the HHR in the pit, take the left sides off, take the wheels in the trailer, steel wheels, and just, I had a four-pound mini sledge, just start whaling on the rims to get them somewhat round and seat. And we aired them up. Um, and uh, I guess Keith had went back and found at least one of the hubcaps, beat the, <laughs> beat the wheels back around where they would hold air, got them to hold air, put one hubcap back in, and we'd take it back to the rental car. And, I, you know, I never got charged for that. <laughs> Nicely done. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember rolling in the next morning, uh, Sunday morning, and just, like, it dawned on us, like, everything that actually happened. And you just hear a tink, 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 tink. You know what he's doing? What the fuck is that? Walk around and look at Kyle's over there just sweating, just pounding <laughs> on the spare tire, beating it out. So I wasn't I wasn't there for that, but I remember Phil calling me and he's like, dude, it's like Kyle's fucking human. It's like I'm telling you, he's, he's human. He finally made a mistake. It's like when the superpower, the superhero, their powers wear off for a minute. You know, you found the, the chink in the armor is the merge lane. Yeah, it was like the merge lane. Whoever that Texan was, it was in front of me. I did not want him in front of me. But you, you got to stick with me, Phil. We were at least like 45 degrees yeah, up, if right? not more. That's awesome. I was sitting in the middle of the back seat and I saw it coming, and I'm just like. This, there's a, mer there's a mer there's a, oh shit. <laughs> He's got to see it. He's got to see it. No, I, I didn't, it hit hard too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, was a, that was an awesome evening. That was, that was good a good time. That was a good story. That's exactly the type <laughs> the of stuff we're looking we for. Yeah. So if you're any future guests that are planning to come on, you want to stick around for story time, you better bring the heat. the heat. Yeah. You got any good Baja stories? There's got to be some good Baja stories. Man, every year there's a story. Um, Mike Johnson and I, I don't know if you guys know Mike Jr. Johnson, but he's a awesome, like, multi-time SCCA champion pavement guy, right? And he and I were driving together one night, middle of the night, out in the middle of nowhere. And um, 
we hit this rock. I still remember this rock of all the square inches of Baja. If I were to see this rock again, I would like, that's the rock right there. We did. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> middle of the night, it was like two in the morning, cold as hell. And uh, we were in this really remote section. And our BFG boss told us, is like, Mike and Kyle, you guys have this section. If you screw up, you're going to be there a while. So just keep moving, right? And he always told us, moving is fast, stop the slope. So that was always Baja's, like you drive what you see, right? You don't drive any faster than that because you never know what's in front of you. So we're tired and we're chasing somebody in the dust. And Mike, I was co-driving at that point. I'd already finished driving. Mike was driving and we hit this huge rock. Like I said, I could still picture it. And, um, was there a merge right front, lane before I, it? <laughs> maybe, maybe. It was a farm to market. Thing, so anyway, I see the right front go like past the roll cage. And pretty soon I see the control arm go past me and everything. <laughs> and it's like, we go down on the right front and we're like, we're stuck. So anyway, we stop, get out. And like, I don't know how we're going to fix it. We have tools, we have spare parts, but we don't have stuff to fix this. So um, anyway, I finally had enough safety wire and like channel locks and sticks and things that we basically <laughs> pulled the what the lower control arm up so it wasn't dragging in the sand and tried to like put a log underneath of it and drive a little bit. And we made it like, I don't know, a mile so or so and it all came undone. So anyway, we were stuck there nineteen hours. No food, no water. Ooh, and we had no no um satellite phone service because we were in such a remote section down in this valley. And at the same time, we're still pretty high elevation. And so it was getting cold as shit. So about five in the morning when the sun comes up, I'm like working on the car trying to do something to keep me warm because we're going to freeze to death. And then we're going to starve to death. So um, like six o'clock that next evening, we're still there. And the buzzards are flying above us. They're like checking us out because like we're going to be food for them pretty soon. And so anyway, they had sent in, BF Goodrich does it really awesome. I mean the chase support, the safety and everything that they do, they really take care of us. But they had sent in somebody and they broke, they couldn't get to us. It was so like hostile terrain. And the next guy came in with a heavy Hummer, H1 chase Hummer. They broke. They sent in another Hummer and finally got to us that next oh, in the night sometime. Shit. Where's the helicopter at, man? He, he so, <laughs> Uh, so we're talking about Baja. We're talking about, uh, you know, stories, uh, talking about the HHR. That one's, that one's going to stick. That was a ride. It's no, it was a ride. <laughs> yeah. Is that, I wonder if that's the reason why Rob McGaffin got a HHR. He probably, <laughs> cause, cause Kyle had yeah. one. <laughs> and he mistakenly, he, he mistakenly thought that was a cool he story. Thought, he, thought <laughs> Kyle, he thought Kyle yeah. owned it. Yeah. He's like, oh yeah. <laughs> Be badass. Sorry, Rob. Uh, it had hubcaps, just so you know. <laughs> is the key word there. Exactly. <laughs> so what's uh I mean, you talked about you're hanging out with family, you're doing you're 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 doing the dream thing. You're working on cars, you're having to give uh Holly nineteen point nine hours a week, um, you know, and nothing more. And uh <laughs> but there's I mean, there's gotta be some stuff that you would like to do in the horizon. Is there a car that you want to build? Is there, is there other products that you've got? I mean, tell us you're, you're not, you're not a young man, but you're not an old man either. I mean, you've got, yeah, I've got more in the rear view than the front view probably, but I still have a lot I want to do and still have time to do it. So it's, it's, uh, it's good. You know, even motorsports wise, I, 
I want to be able to do Bonneville at some point. That's still on my list. Pikes Peak um, and uh, definitely S'more Baja. I love all that stuff. It's just how I grew up. I love driving, competing, you know, learning more about, um, you know, whatever car you're trying to race and, and do better. So uh, that's still on the horizon. Yeah, more family for sure. Um, Jordan and the kids and I definitely spend more time together. We've got a place on the lake here in, um, outside of Mooresville and, um, it's a good getaway for us. So we love doing that. And, um, and now I've just got a better balance, you know, I've got time to work on the things that I want to work on, um, without the daily grind. Um, but at the same time, spend time with family and catch up on those things that I, I never really looking back, um, didn't prioritize and regret in some ways, but at the same time, you know, we're in it to, to do what you got to do in front of you every day. And I just, like I said, I was too afraid not to work because we had so much going on. What's uh, the best piece of advice you've ever received? Man, that's a good one. Um, you know, it's probably to pay attention to the people who have been through before you. You know, the, the people that are older, that have more experience. Um, when you're a teenager and you're just full of it and ready to go all the time on the gas, um, looking back, make sure you, you take stock in those people that uh, have been there, done that, and, um, you know, are willing to pass it on. I think that's really important in our industry. Um, like I said, a lot of people have passed on a lot of things to me, including Lobeck and, um, you know, a lot of the top builders, Alloway and Brizio. And I don't want to leave anybody out because there's so many people that helped me get started from that generation. Um, Troy and I have talked a lot. So it, it, it's something to make sure you listen. Take time to listen. People have been there, even if it doesn't make sense at the time. It will make sense later. Respect your elders. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't see that a ton with like the younger, newer generation of car builders. I think that was something that as we came up the ranks, I mean, we just, I feel like we idolized so many accomplished builders. They could do no wrong. Yeah. And you listened to every word they said. You read every article. And I mean, you took, right. it, to, you took it to heart. And there was never like a, I don't know. We talked about this before. It was never a, oh yeah, fuck that guy. Must be nice. Must be easy. He's getting all these magazine stuff. There was never any kind of jealousy or hatred or anything like that. It was just it was emulation. It was always like, oh man, that's awesome. Yeah. Um. You know what is he doing that we can try to do or something like that? It's different. It it is different different these days. It feels like there's, you know, there's not the, the the looking up to or you know stuff like that. It's it's always kind of a I don't know. It's a different, it's a different vibe. I don't know how to describe it. I don't know if that makes any sense, Kyle, but. No, it, it does. I think we all, and you're right. You touched on it, magazines and I'm not saying magazines are the only way, but it was a big part of how we grew up. Right. And you idolized, I read cover to cover and I, I knew everything in the magazines month to month and you look forward to that. And, um, it's different now. I mean, people's attention span, the respect level, what you can learn from somebody that's been here and done that it's different now. And I'm not saying it's better or worse. It's just different. It's, uh, I don't want to sound like an old guy because I feel like I'm kind of that guy that's in, in between the generations older than you guys. Right. But at the same time, younger than, um, 
you know, of course, than the Lobecks and the Brizios and, and some of those guys that have done this a long time. So I'm kind of that bridge in between. That's nice of you to tell yourself that. The uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's flattering, flattering for you too, Josh. Yeah, it makes me feel makes me feel real good. We won't get into that. Here. <laughs> the uh, if you could go back in time, at any point in time, what time would it be, and what advice would you give yourself? You know, I don't have many regrets. I, I always committed to what I want to do. Um, I was always of the mindset that energy and persistence can conquer a lot, you know, and, um, I always put a lot into it. But when I came to that fork in the road between wanting to race just all the time, that's all that mattered was race and, um, and doing the engineering thing. Cause I thought that was the right thing to do. I'm not, no regrets, but at the same time, I, my next step was into sprint cars. I wanted to run more sprint cars. I, I ran some. Um, but that's one thing that if I were to go back into the probably early nineties coming out of the midgets and, and uh, having some opportunities to drive some sprint cars and dedicate myself to that, that's one thing that uh, I wonder what would have happened, you know. But at the same time, it, I feel like I don't need to do that now. I'm, I'm too old to wake up in a hospital on Monday morning and want to wonder what the hell just happened to me. This, this one just came to me, and I don't know if I can articulate it correctly, but with all of your racing background, everything that you've done as fast as you've driven – all the different type of, of aspects of racing. The autocross was great for a lot of people. Um, and it still is still amazing. Did you ever at one point be like, these guys are taking this shit way too seriously for what, (laughs) what it is. And you're like, dude, I, I've, I've actually raced. This is like, Like I've I've passed people on the track. I've passed people on the track that, you know, we are in the, we are in a parking lot. That's Josh. That's a great topic. And I've thought a lot about that driving back from some of these deals on Sunday nights, back to the shop. And you've made just hundreds of laps in the early days when we got a lot of laps, right? When we were doing it in the early days. And I I look at it both ways. There are some people that can autocross that are awesome drivers. Like I wish I could be at that level. People that you compete against um, and and lots of names that have competed in the SCCA and, and on and on and good guys, everything. But um, at the same time, you, you learn a lot from autocross, right? But to me, it was always, I love the wheel to wheel competition. I love the mind games with other drivers, whether it's on the yellow flags or green flags or whatever. I love that aspect aspect of it. Um, but nothing against autocross. There are some people that are like, wow, that guy or that girl is really, really good. And I wish I could do that, but it, it teaches you to be a better driver, I think in a lot of ways. Um, but nothing against autocrossers. There's a lot of talent out there, um, that I never got to, um, but got to compete with some of them. But, um, I love the wheel to wheel and the, and the, like I said, the mental and the, even the physical part when you get into these long races. And, um, I love that part of it too. When it's a real challenge, when you got to pick yourself up and stay in the seat and hang on to the steering wheel and get it done. I've, I've always wanted to ask somebody, especially you that that has done it so long in the autocross and raced all these different things. There's gotta be a time, you know, when you're trying to come to a stop in a, in a cone box or you're, you know, going around that, that flashback of that 1130 at night in Missouri, you know, on a wing car and that you're hunkered down and that left, left front is pulled, you know, and you're, you're in, that's, that's a little different racing. 
It, it's a different game. I mean, it's it's violent. It's scary every second. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but autocross is so much of a precision, timing, and more patience than aggression. But it's still competing, right? It's still competing. Um, it's very precise. Where on a lot of times the um, the wheel to wheel, especially sprint cars, you know, and midgets, it is so aggressive and so violent that uh it, it's just you're trying to outman the next next guy you're racing with you know i didn't i wasn't trying to prove a point i just i, I wanted to see know. where it went i feel like you're just <laughs> you're like describing it like your childhood like your uncle larry's faded t-shirt i feel like it's what you keep describing <laughs> you're seeing like this yeah. like you know there's like that yeah sprint yeah. car with the hey, yeah. jeremy I, I i still have a tote of all my race car t-shirts from like the 80s <laughs> So I don't know yeah, what those I'm things on must to be for, but gold. I still have them. Uh, start, at e- start at eBay, sir. Those things are probably worth big money. <laughs> Send me a couple yeah. of those for sure. <laughs> sure. I think um, the, the autocross played a huge role in our industry and in both of our companies. And it was like right. the, that was the arena to showcase what, you know, our cars could do and what our products could do. So, yeah, it was, you know, it was kind of like between us and at the time, again, I don't want to leave anybody out because there's a lot of people involved, but. Brett, Ride Tech, right? Us. Gosh, we just beat our heads into the ground every weekend and went back to work and came back the next Friday to do the same thing. But but I think we all learned a lot from it. I think it probably helped the industry some, um, everybody involved. And um, the cars got better. Um, parts got better. Drivers got better. The new people coming in that bought our parts got better. So I think it was a key time in the industry. And, you know, you look back into the 70s, NSRA had like the Jim Connor stuff, right? And it was a, a different time where they had the tea buckets and the roadsters doing that stuff. But it was definitely more competitive, you know, when we were doing it, I think, Phil, for sure. It, it gave a lot of people like a, a reason to build a car. I mean, how many people we talked to were building an autocross car. They're building a, an Optima car. Um, yeah. yeah I, just, I thought it was a great, great arena for us to showcase. And yeah, going back to the old days, I mean, that's kind of what ruined it for me. Once it became popular, the first three or four years, we would go out there and we would put 50, 60 runs a day. And we were, we were blistering tires in an afternoon from just, you know, heating them up too much. And then it got to be like, well, you'll run four times a day. And the Optima thing at the beginning, I think was absolutely fucking amazing. And I, I get what it is now. Um, but, but for me, when it first started and they were putting such an emphasis on really pushing those SEMA cars, you know, those, right. those pro touring air quotes, you know, cars, you better get out there and beat on it. And it was, it was a status symbol. It was, it was something you had to do. And it was those cars that were built that way. And it wasn't about the full blown race cars. Cause if you wanted to build a full blown race car, build a full blown race car and enter into a right. race circuit. Um, and it was right. those cars with street car parts and, and putting them to the test. Legitimizing the show cars. Yeah, it was amazing. You know the stuff they put together. Um, and no, nothing, no, not a dig at where they're at now. I mean, get where you got to do what you got to do. Um, but if you're bringing a full blown race car to a street car oriented event, of course you're gonna like dominate. You know, right, right. And you know, I I think at the time it quickly became optimal. Like any race series, the first year is pretty legitimate, pretty honest. The next year gets more carried away no matter where your street stocks or what level you're racing at optim was the same way it was legit street cars for the first few years but I, I think even the legit road racers on slicks and like real on race cars took note of some of the 
lap times that some of those Optima cars on 200 treadwear tires were making. It was it was on the edge, and it was really fast, faster than it probably should have been. But that's where it elevated to really quickly right. for a street car. It was it was a great event. I mean, you had you had cars and builders from all walks of life. I mean, you had Troy Ladd out there in a Roadster pickup, you know, and right. you had a Chevelle, and you had Detroit Speed, and you had Roadster Shop, and you had all these people really showcasing their products. And it was like, holy shit, this is awesome, because it was the first time you got to see them on that level, I mean, on a road right. course and doing yeah. stuff like that and being so up close to them. Yeah. Um, it was a fun it was, time. It was. Yeah. Uh, next and probably last question, what's the top three most shittiest suspension companies out there? <laughs> <laughs> You're still trying, aren't you? Sorry. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. I've got them, man. I, got it. <laughs> I love the way he slid that in there. That was, that was uh, something. Uh, <laughs> and we all have the same list. <laughs> it's 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 been fun because i mean i don't know if they'll cut this out or what but it in honestly we're we are we've been competitors um yeah but we've been friends um you know we've bounced ideas off of each other um we've we've had many of glasses of whiskey we've hung out and just bullshitted non-car related and car related um right. and we've both done our thing in business um and it's been it's been a pleasure to compete against each other in such a i guess friendly manner but being pushed by somebody doing actual good things um and good products um i know i'm not saying the right things or using uh, the right think, words but i i think you are i know where, where you're going with that it is uh it, it's it's a pleasure to be surrounded by uh, good competition that you respect. There's a lot of people, you know, in the industry that, you know, not to, you know, name names or anything, but there's some people that, you know, maybe don't build the greatest product or represent themselves, you know, the most ethical way. But, uh, you know, there's Detroit Speed has always been a company that uh, I've had the utmost respect for. And, you know, we've had, there's plenty of people that I've talked to or have called here that are looking for a product and maybe we don't have the right piece and I'm happy to steer them to Detroit speed for, you know, if that's the right product for them, there's just, there's plenty of people I will steer them the complete right. other direction, but you know, Detroit speed and, and you, Kyle, you guys have always been, uh, you know, a class act and it's been, it's been fun. I think it made the industry exciting it uh gives you something to work for and to to get out of bed every day and it's uh it's nice to have good respectful competition out there yeah it, it was uh it was fuel for the fire you know kind of like benchmarks that made you want to keep getting better and coming up with new stuff and yeah we'd see what you'd come up with and we'd come up with something and it just kind of kept going and yeah and it always nah. it always puts you in a, like a, a sweet spot to where you never had to push to be the fastest out there. You always just had to push to be as close to Kyle as you could get. That was the win. It was like, you don't have to win. Like, you know, you're not going to win, but like, if you could get like, how close were you to, Oh yeah, we were like, two, like tenths two tenths of a second off of Kyle. Off of Kyle. Like, that's, oh, you're fucking flying. Like, no, I, I appreciate it. I think we each fueled each other. I mean, I, I don't know how many times and you guys were the same way. I'm sure driving home on Sunday night, the rig, your car, or whatever. And it's like you guys fueled me, others fueled me to get back to the shop Monday morning. And if anything, I, I guess I brought, I was brought up, like I said, small town, Midwest, blue collar, 
you want to outwork somebody else. And and that's what always drove me was like, get back to work and try and do something better. You learn from the weekend. Let's get back and do it better next week. And um, I think we all fueled each other. And, and to me, it was, like I said, looking back now, it seems like we we all collectively um, brought the industry, not suspension, n- not just electrical, not just, air, I mean, a lot of things forward in the industry by pounding on those cars like we did every weekend. And I used, um, you know, mast motors down in Texas a lot. And their, um, their thing for DSC was not Detroit speed and engineering. It was done scattered everything, but I mean, <laughs> we, we pushed every weekend, you know, as hard as we could. And, uh, we, we, we pushed a lot of the other people too, to try and bring up the street game into where we were playing at, where we wanted to be at. I think Brett had you beat on scattering things. Yeah, <laughs> he, he did too. He did. Uh, we were at the uh, uh, Autobahn Country Club here um, for one of the Optima events, I think. And uh, it was on Sunday. We'd ran all day Friday, all day Saturday, and into Sunday. And I was talking with Chris and Linda Jacobs. We're sitting on the tower watching him go by. He's like, man, Brett's looking really fast. I'm like, yeah, it's Sunday, and he hasn't blown anything up yet. <laughs> the next lap, kaboom, fucking blows the whole bottom up. <laughs> it's like, oh, there we go. It's an event now. Brett blew something up. Yeah. Hard on parts, man. Yeah, yeah it's, I guess, uh, it's difficult because, I mean, reminiscing, I mean, they say, uh, remember when is the lowest form of conversation, but I, I, we, uh, we, they we, say we, that? It's, it's a thing that they say. Yeah. Huh. Uh, but, we we end up doing that a lot on this podcast is is remembering when and talking about stories and talking about you know the the good old days and then what's what's to come and what the future is right. um and i i i think that i echo everyone by saying that you're you're a part of the the family you're a part of the the core the core group you know we've talked to a lot of different guests and a lot of different people but um from where where we all got our start and kind of growing up and cutting our teeth i guess together um you're, 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 you're part of the family. Yeah. Thank you. No, it, it's fun. I mean, we, we do, we look back, um, had a lot of good times. We learned a lot, but it's an exciting time now. And even in the future, you know, with kids coming into it now and what they can learn and what they can do, it's still a really cool time to be in the industry. Where do you think the industry is going in the next five years? You know, I mean, EV has to be a part of it, but just as I say that, I love to hear that kids are, you know, digging on 32 Fords or 40 Fords or something like that. So to me, I'm very thankful that, that, uh, people are getting into the, the old school stuff. And it, it, you guys have seen it, it all cycles back around, but I'm just as excited to see that too. Well, that's, I think that's the, we've been talking about that a lot lately is, um, counterculture is always counterculture and whatever, right. the, whatever the culture becomes, you're always going to have the counter to that. And if, if the major group of the population is going towards ev you're going to have that counterculture that says fuck that i right. want to do right. you know flathead 32 or i want right. to do you know whatever and it's right. you're always going to have the anti um right. because we just always stay in the anti i you know you ask if i read any of this so kyle we shared this this is the speed and power handbook that i picked up it's from 1949 and there's a, there's a uh a, oh actually open right up to it a uh, Studebaker. It has speeds over 100 miles per hour and gets 26 miles per gallon with wow. the racing, <laughs> racing gear ratios that they've put into it and the coil modifications. Coil modifications. So 
you talk about EV, you talk about fuel mileage. That's 1949, 26 miles that's, to the gallon. I mean, that's, that's a big deal. Yeah, yep. That's no I, joke. Right I know there. that there's going to be tremendous opportunities in the EV world. Um, I mean, we've built, a, I mean, even right now, we've built a, a large, a, a group, a great group. Significant number a significant of. Number, several. Several. I mean, a, a dozen more. Uh, many. Many. EV <laughs> chassis. Um and I know that there's going to be a, a market for that, and there's going to be all kinds right. of sub-markets and all types of different things out there. I get it. it there, there always will be. Um, I don't know how you feel about it personally, but I think that that roar and that that anti-whatever-the-establishment's doing and that hardcore, like, fuck the man kind of thing is yeah. always going to be there. Yeah, big block Chevys and blowers, man. It'll still be around. Yeah. That's what's cool is, um, you know, I, I, I married into the family that has teenagers, and William is into cars, my son. And um, he doesn't like any of the stuff I have, right? I mean, I shouldn't say that. He does. He likes them, but they're kind of like they're knuckle draggers compared right. to him, you know? Um, you know, like clutchless transmissions and things like that. He, he likes, but they're like, they're crude to him. <laughs> he likes European and, and, uh, Things. So we, we go to this car show the other night, and it's called a meetup, right? It's a meetup at, like, AutoZone or something. So I go to it, and I've been to, like you guys, car shows and races and events all over the world, all over the country, big and small. And um, anyway, we go to this thing, and there's, like, 500 cars at this deal. And and it's all kinds. It's, it's uh, Mazdas. It's Nissans. It's Camaros. It's everything. The dude pulled up with a with an LS7 stuck in the front of a Subaru WRX, no sheet metal in the front, and Zoomies out the top. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> at least they're into cars and they're getting it done. And yeah. they were out like doing donuts in the corner of the parking lot and stuff that we would have done at their age. So it's really neat to see that. Yeah, there's guys LSA swapping Miatas. Have you seen that? Yeah. Really? Yeah, they, well, yeah. Put, they put CTS, the, uh, they take a bunch of rear suspension components from the CTS and put them in there. It's surreal. I'm not, I'm not just making fun of Phil. Here, Phil, <laughs> Phil is an avid Miata enthusiast, but up there at the throttle you stop. You guys know way more about them than no, I do. No, up there at the throttle stop in Elkhart Lake, I was, they had the thing up on the lift, and he's got a bunch of them. They're like spec race cars. I mean, that's got to be With an uh, LSA and a Miata? Yeah. That's got to be that's a fast. fucking rocket yeah. ship. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm with you, Kyle. I think that there's they're always going to be the... They think they're doing something so different than everybody else, but there's always going to be that group of guys that are that are wanting to be different. And I mean, right. with everybody pushing so hard on EVs, you're just going to push a shit ton more kids into into you know gas burners. Yeah, I agree. But it's been it's been great. I awesome. think we, I think we're going to have to do a round two and, and fly you up so you can have you in studio. Uh, I'd love to do that. You guys have a cool setup there, it looks like. And I haven't been to the shop in a long time, but it looks really cool. And um, I'm anxious to go back and catch up on some episodes now. And um, definitely the Troy. I'm, I'm a big Troy boy, so uh, I'll catch up on that, he and his team. Troy, Troy was great. good. Are you winter, where are you going to be? Are you going to be at SEMA? Yeah, I'll be there a few days uh, at SEMA. And um, you guys will be there too, right? We can catch up. Yep, yeah, be there. I can do yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot. Look forward to it. <laughs> I'm sorry. The one thing we ask every single guest, it's time. Uh, you got to do a pocket dump. What's in your pockets right now? Oh, uh, let's see. It's always the same thing every day. It's a uh, chapstick because I'm addic addicted to chapstick. So that. Go ahead and say it. 
Josh. Yeah. You want to see? And uh, a case pocket knife. Got that. Sweet. Old my, school. my wife gave it to me. It's uh, engraved, so it's in my pocket every day. Sweet. And uh, I'm, I am a front pocket wallet guy. Nice. That's a, he's got one of the, is that a Ridge wallet? Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. That's what Josh is rocking. Yeah, I'm rocking the Ridge. My, my kid, I've been doing the, the big fat leather dad wallet for, uh, for years and uh yeah my kids got me the uh the ridge wallet for father's day and i'm i'm telling you what i didn't think i was gonna like it but i've became a believer yeah i i, I do i like it i it forced me to like simplify and pare down a little bit but it's good i think awesome great you, you're you you're showing your puffing your chest no, out for a win just choking. because of the chapstick aren't you yeah, these guys. Are you a chapstick guy? Yeah, Jeremy? I fuck with a little bit of chapstick, and these guys, <laughs> these guys, these guys are always busting my balls. You know, but, uh, uh, fuck them. All right, right. <laughs> when do you? I'm with you, yeah. man. Hey, it's addictive. Once you get on it, you can't yeah. stop. That's right. You heard it here, <laughs> Kyle Tucker. I appreciate it, Kyle. Uh, if we don't, if we don't talk to each other uh, before seeing, we'll see you out there, and we got to schedule a round two for you to come up yeah. in person. I'd love to do that, guys. I'm really, really happy with what you guys are doing and Thanks, um, making the rounds with everybody. It's really cool. So uh, kudos to you guys and keep digging what you're doing. Okay, so we are, it is finally, the this time has taken, come. This is taking forever. The time has come for me to right. create my cocktail. So I think it took that long to get all this stuff. No, Stillhouse, it's, it's, Stillhouse, great brand, great sponsor. Um, they sent us a bunch of stuff. If you go back and listen to some of the very first episodes, you can hear us talking about Stillhouse. Me and Phil both did our thing. We brought our we drinks to the table. The entire shop's been waiting to judge the drinks. They've been waiting. They've been waiting. Now Jeremy's. So going I finally to, brought it. Yep, bring no. it. I tried to. This is round three. I tried two other cocktails and I arrived at this. The apple was a tough pull, to be honest. It's a fall, kind of a fall thing. I was hung with the apple. You got the, what, you, were cherry. the you were the peach, you were the cherry. The cherry's easy. Yeah. I mean, you make a cherry old fashioned, you do all sorts of stuff. I mean, even the dude from North of Bourbon set us up with a cherry right. kind of old fashioned drink. Imagine so, if they had a pumpkin flavor one. <sighs> you want me to just run across the street and just get like a little pumpkin spice latte and pour some bourbon in it? Jeremy it PSL Gerber. All right. So, what I have created here is a, <laughs> it's an apple cider. Like legs. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, fuck you guys. <laughs> it's an apple cider bourbon sour. It has a tremendous amount of ingredients, as you can I see. see. I have yeah. filled the table with things, but I like cocktails. You know, I like to make cocktails. You do. So, you do a great job at it. Thank you. So, you start. So preparing. I'm gonna I'm gonna just go ahead I'm, and make this thing, and I'm you gonna, you give the I'm commentary because I'll be over light. here doing it. I have no idea what you're putting in, but I'm gonna guess the whole way. <laughs> this could be good. Mm -hmm. So that's a that's a stainless steel Yeti Yeti, right? Now he's got the two-sided cup. We know we're doing... That's a jigger. I call it a two-sided oh, cup. Oh, apple cider. Okay. Got some apple cider. Was it hard to find that this time is of year? A, is that a full two ounces? Full two ounces of apple cider. But it looks like it's now four ounces. Okay. It's two and two is four. Okay. So enough room. I got you. So, so if you're making a single cocktail, that's two ounces of apple cider. Yes. Correct. Single cocktail, two ounces of apple cider. You're going to give it just a little squeeze of that. They, you know, call for like a teaspoon. I call it just like a smidgen. So a squirt. That's like two smidgens. There's one smidgen. Two smidgens. 
How does a smidgen compare to a dollop? A little honey. It's uh, about half of a dollop. Okay. Okay. So, you got that. Now, your key ingredient, that's your Stillhouse Black Bourbon. Hang on. I think we need to pivot you over here because everybody's looking at your back. Small mm. ass back. Mm. Yep. Okay. Well, give us uh, give us just a few minutes and get this cocktail, and we'll roll into it. All right. So, how much of the black of the black bourbon? Ounce and a half for one cocktail. For one cocktail. So we got Ounce three in there. Then we're taking the apple crisp. Yep. And we are going to do a half ounce of that. Half ounce. Okay, bam. Okay. We are all in now uh, on our whiskey. Got that. All right. Here's where the shit gets custom, fellas. It's bagged ice. Well, we got that is gonna be half of a lemon for one. We're gonna do a full lemon. What, what is that? Here, secret ingredient. Secret? Secret ingredient. You're not even gonna tell us what it is? No, you're gonna just drink that. That smells like um, pineapple juice. You are going to enjoy it. You know what that looks like. It's not. <laughs> we're going <we're> to... <laughs> quick on that. We're going to fill that with some ice. You're going to drink that first. Take your, hey, do me a favor. Make yourself... Do something yep. while you're doing nothing. Grab those two. Grab two coupe glasses if you would. And we're going to shake the shit out of this. Okay? Got that? You're lacking eye contact. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it's like a one, two, one. No, one. you gotta shit, 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 out shit out of it. Shit out of I would have brought the paint mixing machine up here. I'm scared that there's only two glasses and he's not gonna drink whatever's in the secret ingredient. There's some secret ingredient left. I'm gonna tell you something. That's that looks like a sample. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's exactly what that looks like. All right. It's like a cloudy urine sample. It's got some color to it. What do we got there? Wait, what is that? Is it synonymous? You know I've got a nut allergy. Okay. Okay. Now here's the last thing. This gets super custom. I wasn't going to do this, but my wife hooked it up. So You're going to take oh, out a fingertip. A little nutmeg? Yep. Fresh nutmeg. Get a bit of fingertip in there for you. That one's for Josh. And now... Tell you what, with these ingredients, this is basically the Chuck Norris of cocktails. This is the manliest cocktail. No, it's not necessarily <laughs> the manliest cocktail. Not the quickest. Now we're doing a little smoking. Over, under, and the fire alarm going off. Nope, already cut, already shut it off, boys. <laughs> That's the Thought email I, I got earlier? Yep. Yes. Uh, the, All right. the we're gonna, fire alarm was shut off. We're going to let that simmer test. for a moment here. Yep. What kind of wood are you using in that? That's an apple wood. I stuck with the apple yeah. theme. So, what are you calling this cocktail? What's the name? It's a uh, apple whiskey sour. But 
The applewood. Yeah, oh, throw that in the middle. Look at that. That little smoker deal sets it off. You know, you take a simple cocktail, even an old-fashioned Manhattan, and you smoke it, you got something good there. You think you could smoke a bourbon lemonade? Yeah, you could. I tell you, be, what, it, you know smells... what it would be? Smoked bourbon lemonade. Hmm. That smells amazing. I'm, uh, I'm tell you, on smell, you've got it going on. Okay. Three apple slice. Whoa. I was thinking about. You know, You're going to fan that out a little bit? I'm going to fan that. See what I got going on there? And Phil, you get Blake. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Blake hangs on. Handsome Blake Stone. Huh. Bottom there? Does he have to be upside down like that? I didn't that? know that you added a little flair to these, too. Yeah. Let me smoke these, Josh. Hmm. You need to get like a zoom in on the uh, the big camera there. Yeah. Look at that. It is it is quite the presentation. A little bit of a spill. We're gonna let that simmer. Should I wait for Josh or do I get to drink this now? Uh, that's up to you. We'll give that about 30 seconds for that thing to smoke out there, Josh. Do we have uh You want Spencer? Yeah. <laughs> okay, you is, get Spencer. Spencer. Yeah, no, it legitimately says Spencer right there. See that guy? <laughs> it says it's Blake on his. Yeah, it says Blake and Spencer. Where did you find you had a men? Do you have those made? Uh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got That's, those made. No, they were at the they house. They way? were in like a thing. They're for wine glasses. And they have Blake and Spencer's name on them. They did, interestingly enough. Hmm. All right. You ready for this, Josh? <laughs> hey, the Spencer one is almost life size. Oh, look at that. A man. So, I don't know if the triple fan didn't work like I thought it would. What do you think the best way to do that is? I like them. the beverage look at look at spencer just hanging on for dear life <laughs> all right well cheers cheers super suspect that you're not drinking yeah, one it just but it takes a long time to do another one oh. man the, the aroma it's it's got a got a smell the to it something. i feel like that dude the triple garnish didn't work out for me not loving it. I, I we can should see reduce where you're that. saying with the fall, because this is this is Christmas time. That's yeah. all I, I smell. Do they move Christmas to the fall this year? I mean, winter, you know, <laughs> cold Christmas. You know, after <laughs> fall, it's Christmas. Okay, I was thinking like a Thanksgiving, maybe. Go ahead and eat the apple. You can eat the garnish. That's the good thing about the garnish. Wow. You know, this isn't one of you. I'm not going to give you the win, but it's pretty good. Thank you. Appreciate that. Josh is dipping. He's making a meal out of it. I like it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what it's all about, man. See, you know, make it yours. I'm scared to death for the picture of what's in this. No, so you want to know what the ingredient? It's egg whites. Really? Yeah. That's what that gave it that milkiness. That's what it is. Out. And the lemon kind of like you know yeah. makes it so it doesn't kill you. I guess. Tell you what, <laughs> you've got some, you've got some skills in the old cocktail. Thank you. Game. Appreciate it. It just takes a goddamn long. I'd like to build, do another one. I brought, <laughs> I brought enough supplies for one more, but. <laughs>
That's uh, it's a little smoky in here. A it bit. smells great, though. I will say that. That's I'm going to enjoy this. You should I'm make glad. this into a candle. Oh, you think so? Bed Bath and Beyond, you'd sell the yeah. shit out of this. <laughs> that could be my call. I think we could do away with Spencer and Blake. I don't know. I think that you guys going to roll the demographic right. there. It looks just like this, but got a wick in the middle of it. All right. It's time for the glove box where we tell you about some of the cool new gear, guns, EDC shit, whiskey, and other stuff that we're into. This segment is brought to you by Blade HQ. Whether you're into cars, motorcycles, hunting, fishing, grilling, or any number of things, you've got the tools that you swear by. Have you ever noticed that the tool that finds its way into every job is a knife? Do you have a knife that you swear by? If not, it's time you got yourself one. And Blade HQ is the place to get it. They've got the knives to fit any hand, any belt, any job, any budget, in any pocket. Just go to bladehq.com slash oil and whiskey to shop their selection of knives. First up, what do we have this week? Who wants to go first? Dump your pockets. Phil, dump out. them. Are you first? I got nothing Let's cool see him. Come exciting on. this Sh- week. Show us some bunny ears. Don't do those things. <laughs> ah, I'm just... Uh, no, no. You can't say that. You can't do bunny ears? Bunny ears? No. No, it's the pockets when they come out yeah. the bottom of your cutoff jean shorts. Those are bunny ears. Oh, okay. What were you thinking, Bunny? Yeah, there's a different way to do Bunny. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. What do you got, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense now. <laughs> uh, um, I'm going uh, old standby. Um, PGS. Benchmade. Uh, uh, bailout again. I love, the, I love the knife. I'm just tired of seeing it. Yeah. I can, I can deal without ever seeing that again, too. Right. Well, you're going to have to deal with it. Cause it's nice going to be rocking around a lot. <laughs> you see that? So you modded this, right? I did. Um, huh. Got scales from uh, AWT, Advanced Weapons Technologies, I think. Um, they're a billet scale. Um, the, the knife came with a plastic scale. Knife's actually discontinued now with the plastic scales and that blade. Uh, I wanted serrate, to, you want, I want the serrated, yeah. yeah. I wanted to get another one just yeah. to keep it kind of... Feels big into cutting rope. So he needs the serrated blade. Zip ties, cardboard boxes. Yeah, try cutting a zip tie without yeah, you, a serrated blade. You only need, you only need one serration to cut a zip tie. I don't it's just do serrated big. blades. Sorry, I just don't. That's where it's at. So, yeah, I'm, I'm about out of cool shit. Like, I've run through all the cool things I own. Um, so I got to get out there and start doing a little bit more digging on the interweb and find some other stuff. Um, that glove box in the Miata is pretty big. Look around in there. See what's in there. Yeah, it's not that much room. I actually took the glove box liner out for weight savings. Weight. Yeah. It's a weight game. Yeah. forgot. Yeah, when you have 62 horsepower, you need to get all the weight out of there. Yeah, you pull the driver's side headlight out. You take the, you know. That's a cool air intake. Yep. Yeah, you you know what most stuff. people don't ever talk about on the Miatas? Some seldom talk. It's a shitty fucking car. <laughs> not you know, a lot of people yeah, say that. That's interesting that you don't hear that part right. come up. Like, yeah, there's a lot about it's light. It's right. nimble. It's this. It's that. But yeah, nobody really ever just says, "Yeah, it it fucking sucks." Yeah, that's <laughs> right. <clears throat> More people should. Yeah, you heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> Phil, though, he keeps trying to sway us over. Yeah, you know. What I else? Not. You got anything else? That's it. In the pockets, uh, standard wallet, cell phone. That's about it. Um, I did have you queue up a little uh, interweb here. Um, come you on now. It. Oh, I'm getting. You I'm hit getting it, Phil. There. I'm getting there. Go ahead and keep talking. Bam. Minima has a little want more thing on the side there. 
So touching to the uh, the grilling side, I've been rocking this uh, barbecue prep tub for about a you, year and a half now. You own one of these? I do. Yes, Physically, my, in your possession. My mother got it for me for a birthday present like a year and a half ago. Hmm. Um, do a lot of barbecuing, a lot of prepping, and it works awesome. It's a cutting board, and then it's got like silicone uh, accordion type things. So you can pull it up into a tub for doing like pork shoulders oh, or that whole something? chickens for when something. you're, yeah. I, I'll be honest with you. When you sent me the link, I looked yeah. at it and I was like, this is going to fucking hey, suck. Take a look at that. Look at those guys look like they are having the best time. Oh, yeah, those three that, dudes. That yeah. happens pretty a phenomenal regularly. Time. Those are the kind of dudes that use the barbecue prep tub. I mean, those guys, obviously, they're going to go home. You know, they'll talk about it in the morning. Well, luckily, they so, weren't a sponsor, nor will they be after this. But that's a, that's a great. I, if you're into barbecuing, um, it, it solves a lot of problems. I think I'm gonna have. There's hold on. Go ahead, Josh. I think it's a great product. When you sent it to me, I was like, "What the fuck is this?" And I looked at it. It's ingenious. Yes. Now, however, I just found the biggest problem. Yeah, that's man hands. Yeah, washing. <laughs> What's he doing? I don't know. Maybe huh. something's wrong with his house. I wonder if his wife like she <laughs> fell down at it. Took a bump on the chin or something. Maybe had to wash spray, sprained her wrist, perhaps. He has to be recently widowed with seventeen kids. The only reason that Probably, he should right. be watching something. God, that's terrible. I know. What a guy. Yeah. Be able to do all that. But back to your point, I think Anywho, it's an awesome product. I just would never wash it. Uh, we're doing a lot of uh, barbecuing, so seasoning, rubbing, prepping uh, bigger pieces of meat. It's kind of hard to do it on like a tray to. The seasoning gets everywhere. It's all over the counter. It's all over the floor. And then you, you don't know what to foil and it's a yeah. huge mess. You don't know what to put in when you put it back in the fridge. Should leave it open? Should you not? So this, and then the other problem is if you get like a big tub, like where the fuck are you putting that in your pantry, kitchen, cabinets, right. anywhere? So this thing's pretty cool. It's got a cutting board base and the sides pull up um, and it's got a top on it. Great for seasoning, um, brining stuff. And then when you're done, it's good for pulling pork. If you're doing a, a pork shoulder, you can shred it without it going all over the counter. Jeremy, what do you have in your pocket? I'm starting to run out of knives. So brought this little guy in. Cool little bench made. That's kind of falls under the going out knives category. You know, I've got a whole level in my little knife tray that are going out knives. That's a bench made. And it is the Nakamura, discontinued currently. I've had it for several years. Cool little knife. Got some neat you stuff bring going it on. to the table that nobody else can buy it or get something like well, it. Well, you, so you can chase it down, but it has all the things that I like. Some wood, a little carbon fiber. Uh, What's the yeah, that backbone piece? All the things you like? Yeah. Got some Chinese symbols on there, Japanese symbols, you know, whatever you call that. Sharp little fucker, though. And it's uh, no clip on it, so that's one you can tuck. When you talk about, you know, you can, what pocket do you carry it in? Where do you put it? What do you do with it? Yeah. That's when you tuck that sucker right in the little coin pocket. You know, that thing that you don't yeah. use at all in your jeans? But works well for that. So, periodically. It's a nice knife. Yeah. Wooden carbon fiber is something you don't see very often. You don't, but it works well together. It has a lot of detail. Good. And, well, yeah, when you look at the back going on that. Nice little detail there. Little armadillo back. You see that, yeah? yeah. Um, other than that, I, I found something cool that I wanted to share. Because this is why it's important 
to do like the standard man thing. Like when you're at the shopping mall or you're at the farmer's market, it's important to just wander away from the family, pissed off. Yes. And just, you, and you shouldn't be there. Right. Because you shouldn't be there and do your own thing. Right. Because there's a good chance you might find something cool. And I found this at a farmer's market, believe it or not, recently. Um, five dollars GMO. Five dollars. I asked the gentleman what he wanted for it. He said five. I said five dollars. He said yes. I handed him five dollars, and now it's mine. And that is the Speed and Power Thank Handbook. You're describing a modern sales purchase transaction. Yeah, it was a nice transaction. <laughs> Very minimal dialogue. Published in 1949. I think that dude got you for five bucks. Yeah. You think so? He saw you coming from a mile away. He didn't, uh, Have you read the handbook yet? I've flipped through it. No. This is full of Betty Crocker recipes. That's really cool. Yeah. Probably. You're goddamn right. It's cool. Check out the ad in it, the little insert. Go ahead, flip through. It's at the beginning. Oh, wow. Edelbrock heads for 49 Fords and Mercury's compression ratio is seven and a half to eight, eight and a half, nine. Ooh, I got a little. You do have H&H H&H flathead. flatheads. Yeah. So that's like the last time that anything relevant flathead related was put in a publication. Sorry, Mike. So Mike Herman, if you're listening, 1949. And then we spanned until now. like the early to mid 2000s when Mike making Herman a comeback. Yeah. brought it back. Thanks, Mike's Mike. not listening to a podcast. He doesn't have that capability. They don't do this on the ham radio? Do they? That I don't know. I'll we'll have to ask him. It's so, a great coffee table book. It's very cool. Yeah. And interestingly enough, all that talk with Kyle Tucker about engineering school and all those things, I think, is nonsense. My hunch is that he picked up the Speed and Power Handbook. And he figured it all out. Yeah, you that. read that cover to cover. And uh, Question. Yeah. How many pages have you read? Uh, I haven't read a complete page. I've Zero. picked and choose the Look things at the pictures. Yeah, you've looked that at I like, pictures. but I'll tell you this. I know that on page 33, there's a picture. Yeah, there is a picture. It's a chart. <laughs> Actually, it's a dyno chart. So look at this. This talks about how you build your own power conversion. So right there, we have some dyno charts and they start with a stock. You know, that's a flathead and it jumps up to your dual manifold. If you make it high compression, water injection, dual mufflers, regrind the cam, relieve and port the heads, and then completely reworked. And you can see... How much is a completely reworked flathead? That makes 36. 170 horsepower versus the stock, which is 90 horsepower. So if you had a worn-out small block and you pulled two spark plug wires off, how much? Probably about that. But it's the most vague book. Like, I have read right. bits and pieces of it. It's incredibly vague, but it's also cool that it's written in 1949 and it talks about racing frames. That's a whole section. They talk about channeling. They talk about styling, you know, dechroming. They show what you do, the before and after of channeling a car. It's a, you know, it's like a guide to building a hot rod in 1949. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. Awesome. Kind of neat. How about you, Josh? Well, Where's your speed and power handbook from 1949? I feel a little underprepared. Um, I'm rocking the same uh, same readout from a couple of days ago. The new Benchmade. Uh, putting some. That's what bad. Putting some uh, putting some miles on it, seeing what I think. Uh, a little on the large side, but I actually like it. Uh, 
little aggressive on the uh, waffling, but all in all, right now, I, I think I like it. However, so to confirm, you like it large and aggressive. I do. I like okay. it large and aggressive. Uh, I feel, again, like I said, I feel a little underprepared. Uh, Phil brought a plastic tub that he puts his meat in. You brought an old ass book, and I. You brought a pellet gun. <laughs> I brought. This is this shoots that airsoft. Yeah, it's your airsoft gun. This is the little woobie. So what does yeah. it shoot? The little. Uh, so for the for everybody listening, Josh is very into competitive airsoft and the realism. So he spends a tremendous amount of time retrofitting actual AR parts onto his airsoft guns. So what you're looking at right there is about a seventeen hundred dollar airsoft gun. <laughs> yeah. This this shoots a uh, seven millimeter plastic BB. It's At over seventeen hundred feet per second, seventeen hundred. Yeah, it will penetrate. It will send the human lung out of the body. Cool part about this one: you can pump it to twelve times. No, you now can't. I know you're full <laughs> of shit. I can lie. Yeah, it's it's modified. It's been adjusted. This, should we bring this yes, up? Yes, absolutely. This is, is the perfect time? time to bring yeah. this up. Is it I, and I want way? I want somebody to somehow comment on this. As we've all grown up with BB guns, pellet guns pump guns, CO2 guns. How many people out there have pumped their BB gun more than 10 times? That's still around to tell it? Yeah, yes. I say that nobody's around. No, it's, I think there's probably two or three adults that are horribly disfigured. That have pumped it 11 times? That have pumped it 11 times. The rest of them are liars. Make it. The rest of them are liars. Or they, they weren't counting. Yeah. If you're walking around, all 10 fingers, all 10 toes, perfect eyesight and everything's right up here in the face and you say that you did it 11 times full of shit that is when you sit down with me for a job interview that is that's the second question that i'm going to ask you and that's purely based on character because i want to know are, are you going to bullshit me in the future right. and if you're going to sit there and you're going to tell me that you pumped a bb gun how many people have we ran 11 to like, 12 oh, man, times to pump that bb gun 12 or 13 times dude everybody knows Everybody knows. How many times do you pump it, Phil? You go nine and then ten if you're feeling saucy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, ten will disintegrate a squirrel. You pump that sucker ten times. Oh, it's yeah. just fur left. Yeah. It's a dust. dust. <laughs> it's like a kitten sneeze. <laughs> yeah. One of the best descriptions in the history of descriptions. Anyway, <clears throat> so anyway, as you were. Uh this your is airsoft a, gun. This is my yeah. <laughs> airsoft uh this is my new uh build i did a few months ago uh i wanted to do an all peanut butter all fde build uh so i did a started with a geisley lower receiver uh geisley upper receiver geisley rail um bcm bulk carrier group uh badger ordinance safety selector badger ordinance uh, scope mount and then the uh strike eagle and then everything geisley and bcm except the barrel is noveski i'm a big Noveski fan on the barrels. Um, they're super accurate. We actually did a little shooting of this gun this past weekend and yeah. uh, put it through its paces. 11 and a half inch. Uh, surefire. Muzzle device. Geisley <clears throat> trigger. Just a uh, fun little mid-size, I say truck gun because it sometimes stays in the truck, uh, but it's, uh, it's just got some cool things and fun to shoot and at this point in time it there's lots of other guns that serve multiple purposes and 
I'd like to come up with a cool story of why you just have to have one of these and there's just not one. I just <laughs> thought it was cool. Yeah, I like, wanted to build it a certain way. I wanna shit on it, but it's pretty fucking cool. It looks like a weapon of war. Yeah. It's got the uh it's got the the colors that that say it's dangerous because of the way it looks, even though it's completely <laughs> unfounded and great looking gun, Josh. So you do a great you do a really nice job of putting those together. Josh has got a phenomenal gun room and gun collection. I uh should be shared with the world. That's no. No. Well, I'm glad piece by piece. You I'm get, glad you that I get little, to experience you it. You get to experience yeah. it. Yeah. It's a it's a hobby that I have uh, that I enjoy. We all have our things that are our getaways and yeah, something like I enjoy. Bills is, you know, trimming his bonsai trees and, you know, racing his Miata. You like Advanced. I don't like this picture I'm getting painted into. The bonsai trees? <laughs> I want you to... Bill, I would, where did that come from? Well, you've been doing it for years. I mean... <laughs> I want you to break your hand on his head again. Just like, like in the we're, getting, we're getting pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, next up... Oh, sorry. We still have to finish the glove box. We, we do. We've been drinking multiple things. To, but we first, we started on the bourbon side of things. This is Nevada H and C Distilling Smoke Wagon. This is Phil's pick. Tell us a little bit about it, Phil. Uh, brought two of them. I had the uncut, unfiltered, and the small batch, and I can never remember which ones which. Um, they got badass bottles, so I bought them a while ago. Uh, I got the uncut, unfiltered as a uh, birthday present. Um, uh, initial taste, I think they were pretty hot. Um, uh, if you like lava, I guess would be <laughs> probably the, the level of heat. Yeah. But, um, dropped a little water in it. I think it opened it up quite a bit, mellowed it out. Um, I like the flavor, still a little bit of heat. I think I like the, uh, unfiltered uncut better than the small batch. I never had any of the small batch. I didn't get any of the get small batch you. either. Yeah. I didn't get any of the small batch. So another one that's kind of a, around the United States it's distilled in Indiana, and then how, what's the Nevada thing? That I don't know. Yeah, here. Distilled in Indiana. They pump their water from Nevada. Aged and bottled by Nevada Distilling Company. Huh. Logistically, it seems like they're leaving some dollars on the table. Yeah. I've never understood that. We're going to make all that shit here, ship it across the country if you put it in some fucking bottles. But it's one way to look at it. We don't know anything about whiskey. In if the bottle gonna, department... I'd say probably one of the cooler ones out there. Gorgeous bottle. Um, good piece to have on there. Drinking wise, without water, I'd say pretty damn hot. Doing the rough math, that's probably like 113, 114 proof. So it's got a lot of heat to it. Um, drop or two of water, mellowed it out, like I said. Good flavor. Um, I'm going to go 7 0 on the uh, un- unfiltered and a 6.5 on the small batch. I can't. I can't rate the small batch because I didn't try it. Neither one. I didn't pick did. one. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't try the small batch, but I was going six five on the uh, uncut, unfiltered. I'm going to give a number, but first I'm going to preface it with this is why I give it just a couple of of degrees more, right? A couple of points more. We tra- We go to Vegas every single year. Depending, we never find ourselves. There's restaurants out there that have great bourbon selections, but as a whole, casinos don't. We find ourselves sometimes in casinos late at night. You can never get a decent bourbon. That's crowning Coke all day long. However, 
you can generally find some smoke wagon in the casinos out in Nevada. It's, can you really? Yeah, yeah you see it last year or two. You see it all over the place. So now that I know that, I know that it's I know that it's spicy, I know that it's hot, but I also know that it's drinkable. So that gives me a little bit more knowing that at least when I'm in Vegas, I'll just order some smoke wagon, regardless of what it is. If I had to put a little water in it, put a little water in it. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give that one a six three. It's a six three. When you're the Aria always has a pretty solid bourbon selection there. Yeah. Yeah. The that one, one back bar. Yeah. You know, when you're like a lot of it is. Yeah. Yeah. But it's hit or miss. There's either it is. one person there or there's 2000 yep. people there. Or it's either there's just Jim Beam there right. or there's like $10 Pappy Pours. Yeah. There. It's all over. You know the place. what you're going to get. Oh, well, next up, it's time for the Roadster Shop Hall of Fame. Then this segment is where we take a few minutes and talk about some of our most favorite vehicle builds, the iconic builds or vehicles that were just a ton of fun for the roadster shop to build and create. So there's really no rhyme or reason why we do it. We just do it. We just do it. What do we have this week? Jeremy, I'll let you. Uh, yeah, we got a uh, blast from the past here. This is a, an interesting car because it's something that was one of the first projects that we started probably in like 2002 2003 and it was finished up in what year was that award josh what's that look like 2011 2012 you think something like that no doesn't no? way later than that way later than that yeah my date 2016 2018 range right there really the, the yeah. mid 20 teens okay mid to late 20 teens glad everybody came prepared for this one yeah at any it's rate, a Hall of Fame. It was, Hall of Fame. It was, yeah. It's been previous Hall of Fame. times. This is a uh, a very neat car, neat story. Uh, Thirty two Ford Roadster uh, that we built for a really interesting gentleman. Al Nagel was his name. Um, recently passed away about two years ago. And uh, for any of you out there that uh, grew up. As a teenager in like the early 2000s, you may have had a StarTac Motorola flip phone. Remember that little guy? That miniature little flip phone? Yeah. I had one. Yep. Al Nagel designed that. Really? Flip yeah. phone. Yeah. Um, worked for Motorola as an engineer, holds all kinds of crazy patents. The most unsuspecting guy that you would ever you know, meet. There's a young Jeremy right and there. Like, yeah, look at that. Speaking of unsuspecting, yeah, look at those side look burns. At, <laughs> get a look at those, and there's no gray in them either. So there's you want, you want some of this milk there side I burns? Am. But uh, a really cool project. Frustrating at times because it was like a 15 year long project that Al was super involved with. Every single part you see as you look under that dashboard, the brake master location, the shape of the pedals every bead in the firewall, the windshield pillars, not the sideburns. Those sideburns were grown you know, <laughs> naturally by me. But uh, Al was an engineer, so old school engineer, drew every single thing by hand. Um, and uh, we worked really close together. I knew Al came to the shop, one of the few customers who came to the shop every single day for over a decade and uh, drew everything to scale. There were, you know, a couple of drawings I was going to get to. Yeah, full-scale drawings of every single part 
and piece old school engineering drawings and uh and they would make everything 3d oh, yeah. compound curves out of paper somehow yep. when he when he first came in were you like what's what's this dude all about yeah. how long did it take you to figure out like oh shit? it, it took a long time because i built i built the frame rails i built the chassis for him the first time and then as you're looking at that right there built the whole chassis and then al would have you build things he'd draw them have you build them and then once he saw it he would go back and redesign something so those are two saddle tanks that are sitting within the cross members and oval tubing that we just ripped tubes down the middle and created oval tubing well al decided after it was all said and done he wanted to get another like three quarters of a gallon of fuel in each tank so that meant well just cut the entire center cross member out of the car and let's redo it because i drew it like this so that's what we would do and the entire project would go that way you'd pie cut the cowl and you'd lay it down per his drawings and then he would come back after he looked at it and he'd decide he wanted it like maybe another quarter inch down so you'd metal finish it you'd get it all done then you just slice it up again but uh very patient guy very cool guy he could do things with a file and cardboard and super glue like you've never seen in your life but that's a right there is a good example um you know just a, a side view that was about the time we started doing the exhaust and he's got the flex joint the weld on collector every hanger every resonator every single thing drawn um talented talented guy and it was a fun it was a fun project it was i think it was the most fun when it was done to see it all <laughs> to be <laughs> to see it to all be done well to see yeah. it all come together and it, you kind of lose sight of what you're creating when you're doing something for that length of time but al wanted to bring the car to detroit we brought the car to detroit um with really no intentions other than bringing it to detroit because al wanted it detroit and it ended up winning a uh, it was a grade eight finalist which is pretty cool for a high boy absolutely 32 ford to win but you can see its progression from sitting in our original elgin shop as one of the very first cars we've ever done that's something i did when i was you know probably 20 years old that has been tried that has been attempted hundreds of times and been accomplished correctly and that handful that's long before that was like uh you know probably a day's worth of work right there so that's long before all those tacks they weren't scuffed i didn't have a giant six inch fupa cup to color them all up there's no and instagram prep i on just that. so what i did here is i cut it i raised it i tig welded it metal finished it and finished it yeah it was done like in a day yeah and nobody ever saw it because i you was building the car because i was building the car <clears throat> correct i was trying to get the car done finished move on to the next portion check out those car. wide legs and adidas shell toes in that picture that's chad yeah yeah the shell the toes chateau. back there those are the new school shell toes <laughs> though there look at that old that was the uh you always reminded me of the ghostbusters pedal that old oh, yeah, yeah. That the louver yeah we had that uh, no the the miller yeah the miller yeah, pedal that was like an old sinker wave that Louvers we used and uh yeah it was a neat neat project the car was full of so many insane little details like al would design every single clamp and like a wire holder and stuff that nobody in a million years would ever see but 
did he get to show it to the judges everywhere. at Detroit? So he did, but Al, Al was a quiet guy and uh, kind of a cool story, kind of a sad story. Al never drove the car. Uh, I took him for a ride in it one time. We drove just down the street and back and uh, ended up having a stroke not too long after that and passed away. But yes. But uh, the car, we sad. took care of the car. It sat out. Little uh, little house with a you know, detached garage in Wilmette, and the car just sat there. So, uh, you know, his wife is elderly lady. We picked the car up uh, and just took care of the car, kept it clean, tuned it up, got it ready, and uh, brought it out to Barrett Jackson. I don't know where it ended up. Somebody got it. Sold cheap. Hell of a deal. <laughs> you know, yep. Wrong time to be selling a, uh, a hot rod, but somebody's got a really neat, neat piece, neat show piece out there. Uh, I've it was always one of those. It was just tastefully done. I remember. Timeless. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks everybody for listening to Oil and Whiskey with the Roacher Shop, an ironclad original. If you like the show, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. And a review means like actually say something like, dude, you guys are killing it. Miata's rule. Yeah. yeah. I get enough Miata shit. Let's leave that out. Okay. Miata's suck. Yeah. You can leave yeah, that you too. You can say that. You Absolutely. can be like, fuck Miatas. Yeah. I can't believe Phil likes Miatas. Yeah. Uh, we'll see you again next uh, week. If I buy one, will you guys shut the fuck up about it already? Possibly. There'll be a little ramp up and then it'll kind of level out. No. Hey, dude. Yeah. Yes. Yes. We'll definitely. We'll never say we'll never. About we it. will. Yeah. We promise. <laughs> right? Never. Never. You about heard it. Yeah, you heard it. If never. you buy one, you are done. That's the end of it. The nail in the coffin. All right. We'll see you again next week. Mm -hmm.